Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Good morning. On April 10th, 1922, Critical, and it's WBT's WBT was born. And I remember we would listen to WBT. Yeah, this is a big broadcast for WBT. Martin Smith's Corner Store. that day out there. What do you want to hear tonight? Hello, WBT. You're on the air. Hello, Bob Lacey. Hello there, neighbor. Hello, first-timer. Taken by Trapuca. It's good. It was what about Charlotte Hornet? History's been made. Hurricane Hugo has made landfall. Yeah, no power. No information coming into the station other than the telephone. It's a very special radio station because people care. It's the John Hancock Radio Program. Carolina Panthers have been named the NFL's newest expansion. <laughs> With their first touchdown. Bank of America Stadium. Kind of jumping back and forth in our coverage what here. A long, strange trip. It's still in. Throw me in the pool, please. Ray Carew's managed to evade police. I'm David Chadwick. The plane has now crashed into the World Trade Center. Uh, it would appear purposeful. We'll be the first to welcome you to our little club thingy. Bam. I'm Stacey Sims. Charlotte's Mr. Wright. The Carolina Panthers are headed to Super Bowl 50. The Star are going to win the National What's going to be the impact? We may of this? see some serious issues here at midnight. We're providing insight that they're not getting anywhere else. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning, Bob. Hey, gather around, my friends, in this mythical ballad. WBT. The great colossus of the South. Through the years. I love this radio station as much as you guys do, but I love this radio station because of you guys. This powerful voice of the good stuff. This is Bo Thompson's Century Podcast. In 1987, a new voice arrived in the Charlotte radio market, first as an airborne traffic reporter. Yes, that's allowed. Pilot, okay. traffic. He started that's rather anonymously, one of several people in the late 80s and early 90s to be known as Jeff Pilot on WBT and WBCY. Today, high in the sky, 25 past four, Jeff Pilot. That voice would only get more familiar as Jim Zoki soon was hired to join the staff at WBT Sports. It's Sports time, 1110 WBT Sports. Here he is, our man about sports. The man to whom sports wouldn't be sports without sports. Jim Zonke. I'll just take it from here. Thank you. Thank you so much. The uh, two more Charlotte Hornets had to turn in their stingers today. WBT Sports Director Steve Martin recalls hiring Zoki to join the team. When we brought him on in the staff here, uh, it was it was a great time. You had a solid sports guy who grew into the job and expanded it, and then of course hit the mother load with his role with with the Panthers. And he's an ideal guy for them. Uh, one constant that doesn't change. Steve Martin was already the play-by-play voice of the newly minted Charlotte Hornets. Up for the shot, it's Carrier, it's in the buzzer, it's going to count, the Hornets are going to win, Carrier, it's at the buzzer and the stick 
back. And when Steve eventually left the station to join the NBA franchise full-time, Zoki took the reins as WBT Sports Director. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Jeff Mullins Show. This is Jim Zoki along with Jeff Mullins, head basketball coach at UN. A job he still holds today. Over the next five years, Jim did a little bit of everything. Live from the Charlotte Convention Center along with Matt Pinto, Jim Zoki with you for the 1993 NBA Draft. That was the voice of Alonzo Mourning you heard. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Sports Huddle. I'm Jim Zoki, and a program we call Final Fours to Remember. 1-800-928-1110, our toll-free number on Carolina Sports Sunday in Charlotte. It's 570-1110. Off to Plains, Georgia. Curtis is next. Hello, Curtis. How are you? Okay, I'm a big fan. One of Zoki's most important and defining early career efforts was assisting station management and community officials in luring NFL football to the Carolinas, a dream that was finally realized on October 26, 1993. All of you people that bought all of those 40,000 plus PSLs, you helped make history today. Pat yourself on the back. When I get back to Charlotte, I'm going to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> You're listening to live coverage of the NFL franchise announcement from Chicago where uh, the Carolina Panthers have been named the NFL's newest expansion team. Live coverage here on News Radio 1110 WBT. That's how the historic day sounded on WBT with Jim Zoki in Chicago and Henry Bogan and John Stokes in Charlotte. And WBT Sports Director Jim Zoki from Chicago. Jim, how are you? Hello, Henry. Glad to have you with us, my friend. I was speculating earlier that I don't think the NFL owners, all 28, have agreed on anything ever except tonight. Unanimous. I mean, that's amazing. All, all 28 agreeing on the Carolinas. So the Carolina Panthers franchise was born. And who better to anchor the team's radio broadcasts than Jim Zoki? Two expansion teams faced each other in their first ever games, but we're going to have it here today in Canton, Ohio, as the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers do battle in their first ever games right here. The voices around him have changed over 25-plus seasons, but Zoki is still the only broadcaster to call every game of every season that the Panthers have ever played. The excitement here is building. We are in Canton, Ohio at Fawcett Stadium. I'm Jim Zoki along with Roman Gabriel. Now, please welcome and uh, make yourself comfortable with the radio play-by-play voice, Bill Rosinski. Thank you, Jim, and hello, everybody. We welcome you to Carolina Panther football. You know, eight years ago, Jerry Richardson had the dream of bringing an NFL team to the Carolinas. Well, today that dream becomes a reality. Now, Still going towards the end. Oh, he got to the one. He got to the one-yard line. <laughs> Sam Mills with the icing on the cake oh. with 108 to go. We're going to Green Bay. We're going to the frozen tundra. Oh, got a hankering for a hunk of cheese. I talked about Sam, his first playoff win in his career. I'm so happy for him, and he's down with Jim. All right, Sam Mills just now joining us here in the uh, locker room. And, and Sam, what, what was it you were saying to me just as you sat down? Well, I said you've never seen anybody run that slow, huh? <laughs> but it was, I was, I was going to take a knee, and I realized there was nobody there. Got a playoff victory today against the Cowboys. I can't tell you how good I feel about this win. Uh, when I got up this morning, I thought about it, you know, and I said, uh, never won a game. First and 10 for DeLong. Two receivers to his right. Play action, back to throw. Fires over the middle. Moose, touchdown! How do you like that? Oh, my goodness. Five plays, and DeLong 
takes him 64 yards. That offense just getting a little cayenne pepper on it. As the uh, Panthers and Broncos are getting ready to be introduced here on the field in Santa Clara, Levi Stadium. Let's get our keys to the game now with Mick, Eugene, and Jordan. Smokey up here. So yes, yeah. the pyrotechnics, and it is on, man. It is on and popping here at the Super Bowl. And off McCaffrey again right up the middle. Hurdles a man at the 15 to the 10. A sprint to the right side. Dives to the pylon. Touchdown. Peace. Christian McCaffrey. That dude's special. That guy is special. Aside from five years where the Panthers radio rights were secured by another area station, Jim has remained on the air at WBT, covering various events in a city that has seen tremendous growth, and he's provided daily sports updates. There's nobody that likes doing radio more than I do. You love radio. I love doing this. You've done it in many markets. The Hornets will probably be without Kelly Tapuka, who has a hamstring injury. 1110 WBT coverage tips off at 7 o'clock. So the franchise tag protects the Panthers from losing Jordan Gross in free agency, and that's good news, Jim Zoki. Yeah, now they've got uh, both of their tackles back, Travell Wharton on one side, and now Jordan. 718 on News Talk 1110 WBT. Bo Thompson, Jim Zoki, Wells Fargo Championship in the books, and a good one for Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy winning the Wells Fargo Championship. First time uh, that they've had a two-time winner of this event. He sets a tournament record. In fact. And we can soak it all in here, Jim. This is a uh, history in the making for the Charlotte Knights. Little ACDC on the speakers. Throwing the ball around the horn. Yep. Warming up. Getting ready. To me, it's always the sense of humor. Always, when you listen to our broadcasts, and, and when you get to know Jim, he's like that He's that way all the time. And when you're on the air, even doing when we'd be in here doing whatever shows we were doing, mm-hmm. there was always that, I don't know if he's got an ego. I don't, I've never seen it. Uh, he, he knows what he's talking about. He does his homework. He has this knack for throwing in the right line at the right time. My belief is that there's no reason why my colleagues and I cannot create a meeting place. I'm, I don't really care who makes the good point. I don't care. I'm not an, a minute counter. I'm not an airtime counter. I, I want to involve the Zoke on the broadcast. He's earned that. He's very talented. It's amazing that he's stayed where he is at with regards to the, the Panthers broadcast. And, and, and that says something positive about Jim, more positive than you would understand because of the consistency that he brings to a broadcast. He could easily be uh, a great play-by-play character in this in the NFL or any sport he went into. He and Dave, Dave Lengthen, who does the you know, I'm, I'm so proud of the fact that two of the four people we hired for that broadcast are still there. Jim and Dave. And Jimmy is just so smart, so funny, and so agreeable. What a kind, wonderful human being he is. I just can't say enough good things about him. And as a broadcaster, uh, he's unequal. And so across nearly four decades, the Zoke has done it all when it comes to WBT sports. Well, hang on now. He's done almost everything, but he's never sat down for a conversation in this studio before. So I'm happy to welcome to the Century Podcast Studio, Jim Zoki. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Long-time listener. Yes. Great to be on the show, here on the program, as we say. And um, you, you've been doing the Century Podcast for a couple years, right? And so in, in different junctures, you say, I'm going to have you on. I'm just, you know, it's 100 years. So I'm going to wait more towards the end. So I knew, I knew my day was coming. And then I saw last week you had Rick Jackson and you had Steve Martin and, and Bob Lacey. And so I know you've had some some big names. So it's just great to be included in, in all that. Well, of course, I always knew I was going to uh, talk to you at some point. Now, I did 
know that you'd be a little easier to get than some of these people since yeah. I have a kind of a inside <laughs> connection to you. But yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, we with Lacey and and Rick and and uh, and Steve Martin, and so uh, obviously you see I'm, I'm kind of ramping up here as we get closer to uh, April and the 100th anniversary, and we'll come back and talk about. WBT and 100 years and what that all means to you towards the end. But mm-hmm. I want to start with Jim Zoki, and, and here's the part where I'm probably going to learn some things that I don't know about you. Uh, even though I see you and have seen you almost every day for 10-plus years doing the show we do now and then way back before that, I mean, you're one of the first people I ever met here uh, when I started here. But where does where does it start for you? Because WBT, although it was an early stop, and, and, and like I was talking to Steve Martin, he said there haven't been that many stops for me. Uh, Steve started in Maine, and then he came here, and then he went to the Charlotte Hornets. It's not like some of these people that I've talked to in here have had 18 and 19 stops. So, so trace, trace radio all the way back to uh, its earliest uh, you know, stages for you. Because I started here so young, like Steve, from what you're saying, it doesn't go back a lot further than that for me. It just goes back to really college because I, I started working here when I was 22 years old. And so I went. I grew up in Ohio, so I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Cleveland in Northfield, Ohio, which is about halfway between Cleveland and Akron, so somewhere between LeBron James and, and, uh, and the Cleveland <laughs> area there. And um, just mediocre high school athlete. And um, But I always loved sports, and I was that kid that would play Stratomatic baseball and I would um, keep stats I would keep the box score watching an Indians game on TV so I was really uh, into sports at a different level as far as maybe the the nerdy stuff like uh, writing stuff down and and keeping notes and and, and tracking stuff for no reason because I'm a you know middle school high school kid I just was huge into sports uh, beyond getting to play a little bit with my neighbor friends, we'd have tape recorders and we would record imaginary baseball games just sit there and talk. And we would impersonate the, the broadcasters and things like that. And so I, I knew in high school I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. But you have to think back to then. That was the early 80s. And ESPN was pretty new. And uh, I believe at that moment, at least to my knowledge anyway, I didn't even know about it, but in hindsight, that uh, the fan in New York was the only all-sports radio station. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would listen to the local Cleveland sports talk, and it was always bombastic and cynical because the teams were horrible. I always tell people, I go, I mean, I was just okay at sports. The teams I grew up watching in Cleveland were, were bad. <laughs> I have no idea why I'm actually a sports fan. <laughs> what was what was the pull? What was the draw? I don't know. Well, you're probably thinking it, it can't be hard to be better than this, right? Right. <laughs> so, but I was going to ask you. So, you were interested in sports when you were growing up, mm-hmm. and then uh, obviously, did you hear certain broadcasters earlier in, in life that said you know inspired you to say I, I want to do this? My favorite was actually somebody who just um, passed away recently and retired not that long. Joe Tate was the voice of, for a period of time, both the Indians and the Cavaliers in Cleveland. So imagine doing a full Major League Baseball and NBA schedule of broadcasting. It had to be nonstop. And he didn't do that forever. He stayed with the Cavaliers organization. And uh, he was the, the voice like Steve Martin was for the Hornets for like three decades. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of those kind of situations. Looks, fires to LeBron, three ball in the air. He hit it! He hit it! He hit it! Cavaliers win! One ball, two strikes, two outs. Five ball, center field. Manning is there! Got it! 
a perfect game for Lenny Barker. And just beloved up there beyond that. He was iconic. And so back then, again, the world was smaller. We didn't have so much. I mean, you had the you know, the main networks, the ABC, CBS, NBC, whatever, network guys. Uh, but that was a guy that I thought, that's the guy. That's the job I want. I want to do games. Because, you know, even to break down not just radio but sports radio, some people want to do reporting. Some want to host sports talk shows. Some want to do ball games. I mean, to me, I enjoy all of it, uh, but the draw to me was always the play-by-play and doing ball games. So that's that's the thing that I kind of like the most. And again, ESPN was new, so I was just fascinated with that and went up to um, college at Bowling Green State University. It's two hours away from Cleveland. And my first day at school, I went to the TV station. It was a public TV station on campus that served the community in Bowling Green, Ohio, and walked in there and said, Hey, I'm Jim, whatever, I'm a freshman, blah, blah, blah. How can I get involved? What do I have to do to, to get uh, my foot in the door here? And they basically, long story short, said, you can do a lot of behind the scenes here and there and volunteer, but you're not going to be on the air till like, your junior or senior year because that's for the upperclassmen. And so I just walked out going, well, gee, I, I could have gone to Ohio State, but I said Ohio State was too big. I'm a Buckeyes fan. So I, th- I just thought I, Ohio State was so big, I'm going to go to Bowling Green. And my sister had gone to Bowling Green, so I, I'm the youngest of three. I have an older sister, older brother. And she went there, so I was very familiar with it. She's four years older than me. For four years, I went up there, felt comfortable. I, of course, during that time, visited the college TV and radio stations and had a feel for that. So I was a little bit uh, down about that. And then a um, couple days later, after in between classes, I'm just like in the middle of the day walking around. I'm going to pop into the radio station, and the sports director for the college campus radio station was there. And uh, same spiel. My name's Jim, blah, 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 this and that. Just looking at my foot in the door. I love sports broadcasting, big sports fan. This is what I think I want to do. I'm a journalism major. And uh, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's like 11.30 in the morning. He says, what are you doing at 2 o'clock? Hmm. I'll never forget. I go, I don't, I'll be out of a class. I have to go to class. I'll be out of a class. Can you do the afternoon sports block? I'm like, mm, I don't know. And you remember the days of ticker tape, AP wire. Mm-hmm. It was the old rip and read, pull stuff. He goes, here, pull a couple stories off the wire, which seems so ancient now. And just read them as a quick demo tape. Make sure you sound like you can talk a little bit. And he said, good enough. I'm like going, you're kidding. <laughs> so I go, radio. <laughs> radio wins. I've done a lot of TV. I have arrived. Yes, I've done a lot of TV through the years. But that's how I kind of got into the radio part was on that week or that day, it was just what was available. And I kept doing more and more there. And we did all the stuff in the college stations. We did all the things I talked about. We did sports talk. Every day we did games. We traveled to games. They need a good drive to give the defense a rest. Let's take 10 seconds right now to pause for station identification. This is Falcon football. You've locked on to Bowling Green Source for Sports. AM 680 WFAL, bringing you more of what you want. Just short, third down and one. The ball is marked at the 34-yard line for Bowling Green. Look out, Jim. Here comes the wave. And I just it, hate the wave. And it dies before it reaches our press box. 17 to nothing, Minnesota lead here in the Metrodome. Let's see what their offense does now. They're backed up against the wall. True test here. Rankin comes out wide to the right. High formation in the backfield of Otten and Davis. Smith under center. Play action, back to throw. Looking over the middle, he's got Bales incomplete, picked off. Picked off at the 20-yard line. Still on his feet is Martinez. And he will be brought down back at the 22 as he ran from left to right and back again. We have a flag down. We got two flags down. Football, baseball, basketball, hockey. Uh, we did sports updates all throughout the day, and that's what I was doing the first time I walked in there. Um, so obviously, I guess when you did this first 
shot. I mean, it's not even an audition. I mean, this is an actual on air here. Here's your shot. So they must have liked what they heard. Yeah, but I mean, I'm being judged by a 20-year-old fellow student, so what does he know? (laughs) Scott Heitenhove was his name. And we've had good people come out of that program. Jay Crawford, who uh, worked at ESPN Forever, is back up in Cleveland doing local NBC affiliate uh, anchoring there. But Jay did cold pizza and did yeah. all the shows. He was at ESPN for a long time, I'll say 10, 15 years. Do you keep in touch with him? Yeah, we do. I mean, not not super close all the time. But we've had people that have gone on to be in, in news and in um, soccer uh, broadcasting. Phil Shane does a, is really well known in the soccer community. Uh, Dwayne Pullman in news has worked at a lot of big outlets doing news and so forth. People have gone on to be station managers. Buddy of mine, Dean Dittmer, uh, doing that. Um, used to be funny back when we used to carry, what was the overnight show from Mutual? Jim Bohannon? Yeah, it would have been uh, Larry King and and then yeah. uh, Jim Bohannon. Uh, another college friend of mine was a producer. I'd hear his name every morning right before the morning show began here because it was uh, produced by Doug Lillibridge back in the time back then. So we had uh, we've had great people uh, come through there since then as well. So I kind of compare people so they don't know size. It's like um, comparable to like an Appalachian State size as mm-hmm. far as Bowling Green. So it's not tiny, uh, but it's not huge like Ohio State or something like that. Well, and, and in the case of Appalachian State, uh, Appalachian State has one of the most respected uh, broadcasting programs in the country. So And, and, and Bowling Green being of similar size, uh, people who don't know the broadcast industry may not realize or, or, or should know that it's not always just the size of the school. Sometimes you have smaller schools that have really, you know, programs that rival some of these bigger names. And, and obviously, uh, the names you're rolling off here indicate that's the case there so uh that was you know you, you started that afternoon and then and then did it develop into more things uh, as you you know advanced in school yeah so i was uh, there all four years uh, doing broadcasting became the sports director of the stations and i got a job at a um at a music radio station we called chr contemporary hit radio station so mm-hmm. I don't know, it'd be comparable today. He's like a Kiss 95.1 back yeah. in the day or something like that. So we played the current hits or whatever. And the program director um, was uh, a few years ahead of me, but he was a Bowling Green guy. His name was uh, Joe Thomas, and that was, of course, his on-air name. And I, I get a job. I'm going to do weekend shifts doing music radio, just doing breaks between songs. I don't even know how I did it. I was carrying full load of college classes, working at the uh, college radio station and working three shifts on the weekends in Toledo, Ohio. I was doing 6 to 10 a.m. Saturday. I would do midnight till 6 a.m. into Sunday and come back Sunday night and do 6 to 10 p.m. again. I don't know how I did that and still carried on a college life because nothing suffered except maybe my sleep and all of that. And uh, I'm getting ready to do my first on air shift. And he's like, What's your air name? I go, What do you mean, my air name? He goes, What's, <laughs> well, Zoki. He goes, That's, that sounds too ethnic. It's Hungarian, by the way, for those who want to know. It's Hungarian. And I go, I don't know. He goes, well, what's your name? I'm gonna, I have to like, I'm gonna introduce like, you and I are talking right now. What's your name? What's, what's your on-air name? And it was at the time of Roger Clemens was big, and I was a, I was a Red Sox fan. And um, Jim Clemens was a former Cleveland Cavalier basketball player, became a coach. I said, Jim Clemens. He's like, Okay, how do you spell it? I go, why does it matter how I spell it? You're just going to say it. Like, good point. Just call me the rocket. And he had one of these, like, ah, big gravelly voices. Coming up, Jim Clemens on 93QWRQN, making his debut. Coming up next, stay tuned. And that's how I became, I became Jim Clemens in the turn of me just literally standing there in place in the air studio about to be introduced for the first time. And that was the only time I used a, an alias or an air name. I've been uh, Jim Zoki anywhere else. Uh, four years at Bowling Green, and then you graduate, and then uh, where do you go from there? 
So then um, uh, I, I graduate. I'm still working at that radio station, but my goal is to be a sports announcer, right? I don't want to be in music radio. Um, so my uh, parents were married almost 30 years, but they got divorced, and my dad moved down to Charlotte. So I actually sent, I sent tape back in the day, tapes and resumes, tapes or cassette tapes, tapes and resumes out all over the country to places I thought I'd want to live. Because uh-huh. uh, my goal was to, like, not be where I was. I, didn't, I, I always thought I might return here, but I wanted to try to live somewhere else. And then if I returned to Ohio, fine. But I wanted to give it a go to go just the adventure of living somewhere else. I picked places I thought I might want to live, and one of those being Charlotte. Uh, so I sent out one that got uh, returned finally. Uh, and I had I, I used to, I had all these rejection letters. And I kept, I had, I'll never forget, I had 60 rejection letters, 60. And I kept them all because they all had the cool font of the, uh, the letterhead of the radio station with the call letters. And they were like these form letters that said, sorry, we have no openings at this time. Best of luck. Check back. And I taped them all to my door <laughs> inside my apartment. And so I, um, I got married right out of college. I got married two months out of college. I got married when I was 22. I looked like uh, my prom picture in my first wedding picture. <laughs> and that's where my uh, two children come from. And we were married 15 years. And then just a, a spoiler alert, Sandra and I get married. And we've been married 16 years now and raised five kids together. Here are three of my two. But to go back to that time, the one that got accepted was near Charlotte. I kind of would go surrounding area in addition to the area, Concord, at a radio station called WEGO. Mm-hmm. Don't know that it's still there. At the time, it was actually the sister station in WPEG. Okay. And the job was to do morning sports and news, um, do high school football and a little bit of talk and also do some sales, which I had no clue I was going to fake that. Longer story shorter is that um, the guy that hired me uh, didn't pay for my moving expenses down from Ohio. And the U-Haul that I got packed to move everything down here was $800 to make that size trip. I was only making $200 a week at the job. And after my second day, I kind of went up to him and said, hey, we never settled up on the, the U-Haul, the, the moving thing. Oh, yeah, how much was that? I said, 800 He goes, I'm not paying that. <laughs> I said, no, you said, remember, dude, like you said, you pay my moving expenses. It's only $200 a week to work here. And he said, I'll give you 100 bucks." He goes, that's the best I can do. And I'm 22 years old. Yeah. And um, you got you to find 700 bucks stat. Yeah. Right? And I just look at him and being 22-year-old said, well, then I don't think I can work here anymore. He goes, okay, you want to make this your last <laughs> day? I go, yes, I do. <laughs> and he walks out. I worked there five days. <laughs> he walked out. I go, oh, dear God, what have I done? <laughs> I've moved to Charlotte and I don't even have a job anymore. So I just picked up odd and end jobs. And my dad um, knew people down here. He lived off Commonwealth Avenue. I did a lot of landscaping work and stuff. Just, it was just cash, straight money doing landscaping or painting walls. And so, I was, so what year would this have been? 87. 87, okay. 1987. And then... Um, I'm going to remember Creative Loafing, mm-hmm. and they'd have some want ads in there yeah. and stuff, and Traffic Patrol Broadcasting was in there, and the job was to be a traffic reporter doing traffic reports. I didn't know how it was till I got there in terms of what it was, but in an airplane is what it turns out to be. So I walk in, I do uh, the interview, and, um, you know, it's a place that cycles through people all the time back then, and I'm like, they're like, you interested? I'm going, yeah. It's a split shift, but uh, you get to do uh, traffic reports for all the stations, including WBT, and I said, uh, what does it pay? $180 a week. I'm like, <laughs> sold. Sign me up. <laughs> Raise. And after three weeks, I got bumped up to $210 a week. I used to know all the math. 
And I knew if I got to over 200, it was $10,000 a year gross. Um, so I was making and, very little money. And no U-Haul involved this time. No U-Haul. I was already yeah, in town. That's right. But that was good. And this is key. This is a key developing story. I do that. I actually enjoyed it. just didn't pay a lot of money. I think at the end I was making seventeen grand a year. I did it for a year and a half. Uh, the guy that was doing the role of Jeff Pilot. And people have to know, and I, I brought this up, people who lived here long enough remember that the traffic reporter on the WBT and WBCY back then was Jeff Pilot. But it was like Lassie. One would go and a new one would come in and their name would be Jeff Pilot for Jefferson Pilot Communications, and a lot of people didn't even put that connection together. So that guy left, and I got to be Jeff Pilot, which meant I got to work at WBT, and uh, I guess it back then it would have been whatever WBCY was, BYO8 yeah. or whatever it was. Sunny, Sunny, Sunny 107.9. Yeah, with, yeah they, they, Rob Early in the morning worked with all those guys, Chris William in the afternoons, and then... Um, You'll remember this. They used to have commercials, and they'd be on very tiny reel-to-reels mm-hmm. in little white boxes. And part of our job sometimes was at the end of a shift, maybe once a week, you'd have to drop off these little commercials and sometimes a cassette to these radio stations. That's how it used to be done back then. And so I'd pop in here all the time. I'd make sure I'd catch Steve Martin while he was in here every now and then and got to know him. And he eventually hired me to do weekend sports. It was just Saturday mornings. We didn't do Sundays. We did Saturday morning sports with Russell and Flynn because they worked six days a week. And then um, the Hornets were just, when I moved down there, I missed the first part of the season. But I started uh, working really in full the second season. I did a little bit, and then I got in the second season doing the pregame, halftime, postgame. And then after a while, and it was every game, home and away. I'd be at the arena for the home games, and away games I'd be here in the building doing it here. And uh, from there, got to fill in doing some play-by-play when Steve would have a conflict doing ACC things and stuff like that. But, I mean... The first time I ever did a Saturday morning, I'll never forget, it's Russell and Flynn and their news guy, John Stokes. And John Stokes, John Stokes, WBT mm-hmm. News. I've heard of that guy. And I'm 22 going, and I'm Jim Zoki and <laughs> the Hornets. And I was just so intimidated. Go, this is the weekend news guy? <laughs> and John's like one of the all-time greats in the history of broadcasting. Little did I know at that time that he was just there because that's what the job was back then. But uh, that's how I got started. I was working with these legendary voices, you know, Russell and Flynn. John Stokes, all these, Steve Martin, all these people who are, to this day, incredible. It wasn't just because I was 22 and young. They have held up as being some of the best of all time, Hall of Fame broadcasters. That's well, and, and in your defense, uh, you, you've held up pretty well, too, over the years. And I got st- better. Stand right right <laughs> alongside of them, um, and every one of them would say that, would tell you that, and anybody who would listen. But uh, So let me roll back for just a second, because when you get here, you arrive – First time ever you make your debut on WBT, I guess, as a traffic reporter. Mm-hmm. That would have been 87, 88 yep. is when we're talking about. Yep. And Steve Martin was the sports director back then. I had Steve in here uh, on this podcast a few weeks ago, and Steve was talking about hiring you and remembering when you got here. And, and Steve, a lot of people around Charlotte now, I mean, there's a whole generation of people, of listeners, that only associate Steve with the Hornets. But before Steve... Uh, started as the play-by-play guy. He was the sports director here and responsible for bringing in people like you and bringing in people like Gary Sparber and uh, you know Bob Heiss even finished out his career here. Uh, and so Steve was really an important 
kind of cog in the Charlotte broadcasting scene for a lot of the voices like Jim's uh, that are synonymous with it now. And it's interesting. I asked Steve uh, last week, I said, did you ever think that when the Panthers came, was there ever a time along the way where you thought, well, maybe I should have, wonder if I'd ever <laughs> gone down that route? Yeah. Because, you know, Steve, the, the Hornets came before the Panthers, and when the Hornets came, they were the only game in town, and that was obviously the place you wanted to be if you were going to be in the Charlotte sports scene, but nobody knew then that the Panthers would be arriving, you know, five, six years later. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I never really thought about that because I was so ingrained in the Hornets, and he even did some some Panthers TV, uh, Raycom, Jefferson Pilot right. stuff, so it's not as if Steve was uninvolved with the Panthers, but certainly not like you and the, and the radio crew. And But anyway, I wanted to at least kind of plant the flag there, to use an old Al Gardner phrase, uh, <laughs> and, and set the scene with Steve Martin being here, because Steve really is an important part of the Charlotte broadcasting sports scene in general because of what he did here before he, he went to the Hornets. What about Steve? I mean, when you when you first started working for Steve, and, and obviously you've seen Steve uh, kind of graduate to the point that he did, and he's since retired. But what, talk to me for a second about what, what does Steve Martin mean to Jim Zoki in Jim Zoki's career? I mean, just a consummate professional. I mean, you think, first of all, on air, just a professional tone, the delivery, the strength. You know, it's different kind of announcers. I mean, it's just a power in his voice for big calls. And I think back to, like, those Larry Johnson, Alonzo, Muggs, uh, Muggsy Bogues days. They wouldn't be the same without hearing and reliving those those play-by-play calls. I mean, he just had the perfect play-by-play voice. But just a great guy. I mean, just on top of that, too. I mean, just a funny personality, um, just engaging. And I think... Um, could have done news. You mentioned football. I, I think he could have done news. I think he could have done anything. He's a smart guy and uh, will forever be indebted for just him giving me the opportunity to get in the door and, and come here because, uh, again, I mean, I'm literally 22 years old at that point. I'm not even 23. And, uh, and Steve uh, took a chance on me starting with doing the weekend thing and then uh, having the confidence to let me be a part of the Hornets broadcast uh, starting in that second year. So uh, to me, yeah, always will be indebted. Uh, but as a listener, as a fan of radio and of sports broadcasting, still one of my favorite. I mean, there's a reason he held up for decades and decades as the voice of the team. I mean, just like one of those voices that you just associate with that team and that time. And uh, and Steve, uh, to me, is just always going to be one of the all-time greats. Yeah, and we'll talk about uh, Bill Rosinski more here in a second as we uh, venture into – the Panthers. But, you know, those two guys right there, Steve and Bill, uh, I think there are a lot of similarities as far as sort of the authoritative voice. And there are two guys that can always say that they were the very first voices of a franchise from scratch. I mean, there's some very, very storied broadcasters that we could name that never got that opportunity to come out of the gate when there's literally no history before then. So, you know, those two guys together, uh, I think they'll always sort of be intertwined together. And a little story um, before we move away from the traffic reporting, Steve Martin time, is that I was doing both. So I would be doing the traffic reporting as Jeff Pilot, but also would be doing a lot of sports as Jim Zoki doing the Hornet stuff and, uh, and moving into the weekend stuff. And I eventually got Steve's job because Steve got hired by the Hornets to be the director of broadcasting. So at 25 years old, I got Steve's job as being the full-time sports director. Uh, but prior to that, as that was wrapping up, there were times we would touch down the plane at the uh, at the airport, Charlotte Douglas Airport, around 6, 610, and I would drive down Wilkinson Boulevard because traffic wasn't as bad back then as it was now. And I'd be the fill-in for Steve on the sports huddle 
talk show at 6.30. So I'd be driving down the road. I'd walk in like five minutes beforehand, and I'd be you know 20 minutes earlier have done a full day of a.m. and p.m. drive, traffic reports as Jeff Pilot, come on as Jim Zoki and do an hour, hour and a half, whatever it was. It kind of varied based on what games were on that night and their timing. And not one time did anyone ever say, aren't you the same guy that just did all those traffic reports with Mike Collins? And I, I just... I never thought about it every day, but I just it was just looking back, like nobody ever once said it was just <laughs> it's like <laughs> this it's alter like, ego, and it was they said same voice. It wasn't like some concocted different alter ego. It was the have same. Have you person. ever noticed that Jim Zoki and Jeff Pilot have never been seen together in the same place? I should have interviewed Jeff Pilot, like did a produced piece where he put it together, so people would think it was two different people. But anyways, I always thought that was kind of interesting. And looking back at that, going. Amazing. I did that. I did it. like morning and afternoon drive in an airplane doing traffic reports, touched down in the airplane, and then drove down the road and would host a sports talk show. What you should have done is, uh, you know, when you're when you're uh, Jeff Pilot, wear glasses. And, you know, when you're Jim Zoki. <laughs> like I'd, goggles. Yeah, like like Clark Kent and Superman. <laughs> have like a leather hat and like a, like a Snoopy thing going on. I remember the first time I ever saw you. I was standing in the hall here, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself because pretty soon uh, from where we are right now is where I darkened the door for the first time at this place. And, and, and I met Jim almost immediately. But I do remember standing in the hall as an intern with Mike Collins one day. And I remember right outside uh, just... I mean, literally a feet from where we're sitting right now in the studio. And I remember talking to him and all of a sudden this guy runs through the front door or actually that point in time, it was down the hall because the entrance was in a different place, but came running down the hall and then whisked into the newsroom. And he said, oh, there goes Jeff Pilot. (laughs) And then I said, wait a minute, I thought that was Jim Zoki. And then I, I so I actually saw you for the first time and you were no doubt. You know, running in between jobs like you're talking about right now, you know, multitasking. But so uh, what was WBT, the station, like if you could describe because I had Steve Martin do this and I've had various people kind of give me the snapshot of what the place was like, some of the names and some of the, you know, how it operated. If you could describe the station when you arrived in in what, uh, you know, late 87 ish. What do you remember? Um, Just uh, even though I didn't grow up here. You know, grew up listening in Cleveland to a radio station called 3WE, WWE, and it was uh, the same thing where it was mostly news talk, but they would do sports. They would carry the ball games with a very similar format uh, to what uh, which the, the, the one in Charlotte here was. And, again, it was Russell and Flynn were on every day, and you know what a hoot that is. I mm-hmm. mean, there was just pure comedy. I remember working my 23rd birthday, and Don Russell, I don't know why you remember certain things. Don said, I said, it's my birthday. He goes, oh, you're kidding. How old are you? I go, 23. He goes, 23? I got shoes older than 23. And I look back at that now, based on what I think Don to be age-wise, he was probably younger than I am now when he said that to me. So it was Russell and Flynn, and then it'd be H.A. Thompson doing middays. And, again, another icon, legendary broadcaster who I enjoyed. I never worked on shows with H.A., but, of course, like everyone, known him through the years in a great way. I guess Mike Collins in the afternoon. In fact, I would do traffic reports with Mike Collins. I didn't do midday. I did morning and afternoons. And I had this, uh, you would know what these are, David Clark headsets. So these mm-hmm. green headsets up on the plane with a microphone attached that wraps around. But I had a push-to-talk. So I had a push-to-talk that I would have to depress this button which was like the size of like a screw head or something like that. and But Mike was, back in that day, it wasn't just like a traffic report. He might draw you in for a 10-minute conversation, <laughs> and I would have to hold this button down and not release it, or else I'd pop off the air, and I would get done with these long segments. I have this hole in my thumb from holding down this push-to-talk <laughs> on the, the button that was attached to my headset with Mike. Mike was like the closest thing 
to just almost just freestyle radio. ACC Hotline is tonight at 7.05. Jim Zoki, 1110 WBT Sports, reminding you with the first of several signature sign-offs to keep your eye on the ball and keep swinging for the fences. Kind of the Casey Kasem effect to it. Keep your eye on the ball and keep swinging for the fences. For the fences. I like that. You want to break the, ne the next one tomorrow night, or you want to do it now? These are quick. Okay. These are quick. I got, I got, uh, I got four more for you very quickly. We'll okay. run through them, and you tell me which one you like okay. best, and I will use it tomorrow. Okay. Number two, when you're going for the end zone of life, all you really have to do is break the plane of the goal line. I like it, but it's a little complicated. It is. It's kind of mm -hmm. technical. Mm -hmm. Third one. If you're going to dribble, do it on the court and not on your chin. I like that one. That's like if you get in your home, you've got to slide. You've got to have class, that. It has taste. It has je ne sais quoi. Two more. Okay. See if you like these. Mm -hmm. If you can't play a sport, be an agent. And That's find, even better and, and more accurate. And finally, Mike, uh -huh. the best things in life are free, but Coliseum Parking is still three bucks. <laughs> Just like you didn't know where it's going to go. I think probably in hindsight, might have formed a little bit of what I am. I'll just kind of say, and Sandra criticizes me sometimes for this often, you, you don't have to say everything that pops into your head. But I kind of just do a <laughs> lot of times. Stream of consciousness radio. It is stream radio. of consciousness and not a lot of thought put into it. Uh, and while we take so many of these uh, rabbit trails to, to other places when we, you and I are on, especially with Beth or somebody like that, uh, was with Mike Collins because he would just out of the blue say, we're going to do a top ten list now. We're going to do this. We'd it'd just be, what's your thoughts on you know this song and, and, and whatever was going on? Uh, so I enjoyed doing that. And then, of course, Knights was Henry Bogan. Yeah. So Wendell will be on the board. Who Wendell still, for those who remember Henry's program, uh, Wendell still works with us with the Panthers. See him at Panther Talk every Monday. And David Eads and some of these uh, veteran WBT people. But Henry Bogan, if I was doing the Sports Huddle show, it'd be Henry Bogan. So to me, I was like, I was like the kid table, working with all these grown ups, like my parents' friends, kind of feeling. And I just kind of felt like, like the little brother to everybody here because I felt like. These people have been doing this for decades and decades, and in a lot of cases, right here, for at least double-digit years. So I felt, and you think of John Stokes and Jim Barrell, Scott Kilgore, for those who remember those voices, these an unbelievable news people that worked here forever. So to me, that feeling of, this is a legendary place, this is a special place, because radio could be very transient. This was a place where people came, and they worked careers here, and they were good and, uh, and established. So it, it, it was very much uh, kind of like walking into like a hollowed place, uh, not just any kind of business or a broadcast entity. So if I had said to you or anybody had said to you back in 1987, Jim, you will still be working at WBT in 2021, uh, that would not have seemed like a foreign concept to you because you'd seen so many other people do it. Like mm -hmm. that, That's what people here do. Is that, what, is that the way you would have answered, do you think? I think, you know, I never wanted to leave. Uh, I've applied for other things in other markets through the years. And... Um well, and, and I should also add the caveat there that it's not just WBT. Obviously, the Carolina Panthers right. are a huge yeah. part in that, which which we'll get to <laughs> in a moment. Another place I can't seem to leave. <laughs> well, n neither I'm, place I'm wants you I'm very loyal, and they're very loyal to me, and I'm very blessed, and I appreciate all of that. But uh, I guess I didn't really think about it, because I kind of felt like this was a great place to work, and I would kind of add side stuff on. So while I was doing all this, I added... Davidson College, I did basketball for two years as their voice. I did the Charlotte 49ers for a year, and then the Hornet, the uh, Panthers arrived, so I had to stop doing that in 95. Just 30 seconds here into the second half, and again, 32-26 Davidson. Marshall skipping into the forecourt, 
at the point, picked up by Alford on the left side for Bryant Feggins. Gets it to Fuller, left of the lane, kicks it back out to Feggins in the left corner. Two-man game again. Fuller goes right around Harwood, throws in the lane for Davis for the easy layup. Mark Davis came right down the stripe, as Bob McKillop calls it. Nobody picked him up, and they found him. And we go to the top of the fourth here to take you through the middle innings is Jim Zoki. All right, Pat, thanks very much. Ed Giovanola will lead it off the third baseman for Richmond singled and scored in the second inning, part of a three-run second inning for Richmond that has the R Braves in front of the Knights by a score of three to one. Niners need points. Right side it is Downs. Had the ball knocked away by Knight. Lang picks it up back to Downs. Three to go. He fires a shot short. One second to go. Time is out as Lang scoops it up and in. They will count the basket, but the Niners lose by two. 70-68 the final. And Stanford hangs on. And for the fourth consecutive trip to the NCAAs, the Niners will leave with heartbreak. Outlet to Anthony Mason, who brings it ahead again. Hornets with the early 2-0 lead. Mason stops at the left elbow, feeds between the rings to Derek Coleman for a long two, and he buries it, making a three. That's a surprise. That's what Indiana does. Derek Coleman puts up an early three-pointer. A rare one from D.C. Five-nothing <laughs> Hornets lead early and a steal. Wesley nearly. Because we had Jefferson Pilot slash Raycom across the street, I got in doing some games uh, with those folks and, and golf tournaments and, and different things. So I worked here, but it also gave me an opening and uh, maybe some confidence and resume material to, to do some side projects. I mean, I've done games like on ABC TV doing major college basketball that I got through Raycom uh, back in the days. Um, I've done, like I said, major national golf tournaments that were syndicated that were put out and, and other things that I got through working here first that kind of spun off of being able to do those things. So um, on one hand, yes, I had two offers that come to mind, three uh, in other markets. One was in San Francisco at KGO to go do for the 49ers exactly what I was doing here because Capital Broadcasting, the first five years, owned what we did with the Panthers. They Panthers took it in-house after the first five years, but they were in charge of the broadcast and the sales and the marketing. So long story short on that one was uh, I, I just looked at the market. I said, I'll, I'll be doing the same thing, but in a big market. I don't really want to move all the way across the country. So I said no. And they couldn't believe I said no on that side. <laughs> the guy from KGO <laughs> said, I just hung up with Carmen Policy to take your phone call. What do you got for me? I go, I'm not coming. <laughs> so I'll leave wow. that one there. But it was a nice offer, but it was a very, to me, lateral move, but to a bigger market. And, well, um, I think things have turned out pretty well. I don't know. It's like, I'd like to see the alternate endings of all these movies to see what would have happened Like <laughs> That's right. when I'd been the 49ers play-by-play guy. And then twice in Atlanta, the first time I was offered a job at WGST in Atlanta to work the Braves games, uh, but again, not the actual play-by-play, but to do the pregame, postgame, and do an afternoon drive slot there. But it didn't pay hardly any money. It paid actually exactly what I was making here, which I was young then. It wasn't enough money to make me move. If they'd paid me more money, I would have gone and done that. I didn't do it. And then about, it's when West Durham got the job with the Falcons. So probably about, I've been back now 16 years, maybe about 18 years ago, right around the Super Bowl year for the Panthers, somewhere in the early 2000s, the voice of the Falcons left. And we play them every year, so I got to know everyone, including their producer, their David Langton producer. And he calls me out of the blue. He goes, you won't believe this, but our play-by-play guy's just left. He's taking a TV sports job in Tampa, and it's July. Season starts in like three weeks. Would you be interested? Would you please take the play-by-play job? I said, yeah. He goes, all right, I'm going to set up a phone conversation with our program director this afternoon. You call him and talk with him. So this is a radio station that does – I'm at the Fox then. I'm at WRFX 99.7. I'm doing the Panthers and doing um, sports updates over on John Boy and Billy and Mr. Bill's programs. So I call it between sportscasts on Mr. Bill's show on a, a weekday. 
And I'm not even exaggerating when I say I call the program director. We're completing each other's sentences. He wants a younger guy that's kind of hip and funny, not the old stoic kind of play-by-play guy that could be part of their rock station mentality and come on doing exactly what I'm doing at the Fox and, and just be a younger, funner version of that. I'm like, great. And he goes, let's get you down for an interview. We don't have much time, but I think this sounds great. I'm like, super. He goes, can you come down next week? I go, yes. And so I go down <laughs> five days later. I drive down there. I get there. I didn't realize because I wasn't really – in the loop with all that after that conversation that was on a wednesday on a friday they blew out the entire staff including oh, wow. the program director and changed formats to a different kind of music and it became dave fm so now i'm down there interviewing with somebody who had just arrived on monday literally what are the odds that i get a phone call from this person who obviously doesn't know he's leaving he gets fired two days later i get to atlanta and they end up doing the right thing which is hire west durham uh, to do the uh, the broadcast for the Falcons because he was doing I think Georgia Tech back then, and um, so he gets hired to do the the Falcon games. Of course, now it's you know Packer and Durham and all that. And am I correct that uh, I know for a while maybe it's not this way anymore, but West Durham like Gene Deckerhoff for a while was doing Georgia Tech and the Falcons yes. because Deckerhoff does Tampa Bay and Florida State. Up until right? West started doing ACC network okay, stuff. Yeah. yeah, he was doing that. So it's too. not unheard of for that to happen, but yeah. I wouldn't say it's the it's the norm. But it is uh, you know some some guys do the multitask. But, I mean, I had the in, and I had the program director, yeah. and we had that that that's that sync up of like we're going to be like we're going to do rock and roll radio kind of thing going on there, and they get fired and changed formats. I mean, not <laughs> not a person was left in the building that I had talked to. I got down there and actually went to the wrong building. They had two buildings. They sent me to the other one, and the guy interviewed me for maybe ten minutes, and I drove back. And I go, I'm not getting this job, <laughs> so I ended up I was fine because I kept doing what I did. It wasn't like I left a job. I was just interviewing for it. But I am telling you, as I'm driving down there, I'm thinking I'm be the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. Wow. Well, I, I want to get to the Panthers. I really promise we're getting there, but I want to hit a few things before we get there. And one of them is, uh, like I said a few minutes ago, uh, I got to WBT in, in 1990, and um, I've told this story on the air. I won't go into detail, but I'll just say that uh, my entrance into the building was going to visit Bob Inman down the hall at Channel 3, but knowing that I was much more interested in radio than TV, when I got in the building with him, we watched the newscast, and I said, can, can you show me this radio station down the hall? So he took me down the hall, and in the room that day was Henry Bogan and Mike Collins. Sort of hit it off with Mike. It was kind of fascinated by all the bells and whistles and things that he did. Because as you mentioned Collins earlier, Collins uh, you know, can go down any kind of number of rabbit holes and will sort of kind of take things where they lead him. But the other thing about him is that always fascinated me was that all the while he's doing that, he's doing 15 other things at the same time. And he's a production whiz. And he doesn't really do much of that anymore where he is now over on public radio. But he's the guy that crystallized in me an interest in how it all comes together, the the imaging and the production and not just the microphone. So anyway, uh, I ended up asking if I could come out and watch Mike after school when I was in high school <laughs> on Friday afternoons. And I'll never forget that, you know, the first, uh, I did this for maybe the better part of a year. They didn't pay me. I just came out, you know, these days you would have to go through, uh, you know, eight different uh, 
HR people to even get in the building that age. But back then, I they let me back through, and I would sit in the corner. And I remember, because I mentioned the first time I ever saw you, so I guess when I first got here, you were Jeff Pilot. But then, you know, fast forward two or three months, you were doing sports in the afternoon with Mike. And I remember I stood in the corner, and I watched. And literally, I was very content just to absorb. That's all I cared about. And I remember you came in one day, and, uh, you know, you would come in, I guess, every half hour, or maybe it was every hour, but... But I remember you turned to Mike and you said, he hasn't moved in two hours. <laughs> I don't remember this. <laughs> I think that's the first thing I ever said to you or you said to me. He hasn't moved. And you were right. But I remember thinking, uh, I just, and I'm perfectly content not to have moved. But then fast forward down the road a little bit. Uh, a show comes along on Sunday nights. And this is back when John Kilgo was the general manager. And John Kilgo, I was talking to Steve Martin about this. John Kilgo was a very important cog in the sports broadcasting wheel in Charlotte Radio, both here and at uh, WAYS, you know, over uh, uh, big ways and and, and the Tar Heels, I mean, he was just sort of permeated everywhere. And so John Kilgo was the general manager, and he got this idea to start this show on Sunday nights called Carolina Sports Sunday. And uh, so there again, I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm standing in the hall with Mike Collins and this guy named Clay Neal walks by. And Clay Neal, unbeknownst to me, at this point in time, he was working with Henry, and uh, but he was a producer doing other things. And on Sunday nights, he'd been charged with being the board op and the producer for this Carolina Sports Sunday show that John Kilgo had concocted. And he says to me, with, he says, this guy comes here every week. Are we finally going to like make use of him? Like Maybe we ought to pay him to do something. And one thing led to another. There I was, Sunday nights, I came in to run the board for this Carolina Sports Sunday show, which in the beginning, John Kilgo hosted for like, I don't know, like three weeks. And then something else came along. And you may, may remember this a little bit differently, so my, my details may be off slightly. But I know Kilgo hosted at the start, and then Kilgo got pulled away. Maybe it's because he actually left. I can't remember where in the timeline that falls. But, you know, Kilgo didn't—he was not general manager that much longer after this. But at, at any rate, eventually you became the host of that show and hosted it for the rest of its existence, which is about two or three years. But I got to know you— working on that show, and that was a show that had Ken Neal. And Much like an NBA game, Carolina Sports Sunday doesn't really begin until the final two minutes of the program. So this ought to be good. It should be. All Get right. one more call in here. Yeah, let's see how good it is. Okay. Go to Martin right here in Charlotte, who's next. Hello, Martin. How are you? Guys, how are you doing? Great. Good. Just want to make a little quick comment about that Garnett, um, Kevin Garnett. Uh, I saw him play, I guess it was yesterday. Right. Mm-hmm. This kid is not ready for the NBA. I, I mean, I understand what you guys are saying. Uh, you know, go to a team he can sit and all of that. Jim Thacker, who was a legend, you know, he was. This was the tail end of his career. But Terry Gannon, mm-hmm. who of course graduated to really big things at NBC, but you know, he was for years and years. I know Terry after his basketball career at NC State. Terry was doing like ice skating coverage for ABC, and so anyway, you know, a lot of people that you, Brett McMillan was another one that you mm-hmm. you cycled through there. But that's where I got to know you and that that Carolina Sports Sunday show that lasted for you know a few years. That was an interesting time. You made the mistake of telling me, because you were high school age, that you were like a water ski instructor. <laughs> well, as mentioned previously, Bo Thompson, one of our two fine producers here, is off to Camp Thunderbird at Lake Wiley. And he'll be the water skiing instructor. He will be. So he's gone on to such greater things from this show. To Pack being your water sunscreen. Skiing. Yeah. So it's 
It's off to summer camp for Mark. Or <laughs> Mark. <laughs> Bo. <laughs> See ya, Bo. Any parting shots for Bo or just so long? No, you know, he's done, pack a, the back he's, team. He's done an admirable job. Very admirable. All right, Bo. Please write. You know where we live. We're going to miss you. Postcards. Always yeah. welcome. Coaching the softball team. That's going to do it for Carolina Sports Sunday. We'll see you next week at 8 o'clock. And so I don't think I had a Sunday that went by where I didn't make some kind of reference. And it could be on the air, it could be off the air, but usually on the air about Bo Thompson, our water ski instructor, of some some way of working that in every week. But here's the it's a small detail, it doesn't matter, but John Kilgo came up with the idea of the syndicated sports talk show. And we got 25 stations. I mean, we were on every market in the Carolinas. Yeah. Raleigh, Charleston, Columbia, everywhere, and some smaller ones. We had 25 stations. It was the biggest uh, sports talk show as far as syndication. It was 8 to 10 on Sunday nights. And I actually did the first shows with him. So you're right. He did two or three at the most. So you were in there with the studio all the way? I actually okay. did the very – he said, guess what we're doing? We're doing a show. So the reason I say it in that way is after the second or third show, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> And he, he was friends with Jim Thacker, so he made Jim Thacker happen. And then somehow, you know, Ken Neal, of course, from uh, being across the street at JP Sports, knew a lot of people. I said, well, you could come in and we could just ham and egg it. We'll just, we'll, we'll do it a lot. So Ken was kind of like the guy I could count on that would be available. Terry Gannon, when he could, he was just starting to do some freelance. He still does basketball and golf and all that in addition to figure skating, but he was uh, already starting to do some basketball and probably for JP and all this and that. I'm forgetting names. I had different people, like you said, Brett McMillan and people come through, but I had to do every show and I'd have to put it together. It was two hours. And I, one of my favorite memories of that was You'd line up guests, and um, somehow I had Bobby Bowden's phone number. I think Jim Thacker probably gave it to me. I called Bobby Bowden's house before the show, and he comes to the phone. His wife answers. He hands, uh, the, gets the phone from his wife, and he says, I can do it. Let me finish dinner and uh, call me back. I mean, that's a, think about that. I called Bobby Bowden's house during dinner, and then he said, yes, I'll do it, and became a recurring guest on the show, the great Florida State coach, one of the all-time icons of college football. That That's how – Sports radio was, at least in certain situations back then, you could just call Bobby Bowden up. I didn't know Bobby Bowden as a point in all that. He had no relationship with me like it was like, like Ron Rivera or someone that I knew. Yeah. And Bobby just came on and did it, so that was great. But uh, enjoyed that for a while. It went for five years. It finally ended when the Panthers came in uh, 1995 because that would take over Sundays. But as much as I enjoyed it, it's also like every Sunday, like, oh, i got to come in and I have to prep for a show and put it together. And it's 8 till 10 on Sunday. And I have to do morning drive on Monday. So I enjoyed it. But on the other hand, I was actually happy when it came to an end, too, just because of the time. If it was on a weekday, it had been great. But I just having to make sure I was around every Sunday night for five years was uh, tough. I didn't miss a lot. You know, I missed a, a couple. No, well, <laughs> not I mean, too many. But, I mean, you were the guy that did the heavy lifting on that show for its entire What existence. was the Phil Collins song we used yeah. for the intro? It was Something Happened on the Way to Heaven. So that, I, I can't hear that song. I know. It's still to this day. And, and you, it, it's not a song you hear, but you know it when you hear it. It was big at that time. It wasn't like quite as big as Susu Studio. <laughs> well, but it was a big song on, I think, maybe that same album at that time. And that was the open. It's like, for years, I'd hear that song go, oh, <laughs> the show's starting. <laughs> Probably still. Well, see, you and I both hear it now and think different things. I mean, that literally is what I think of as far as my, my doorway into here working and getting paid to do something. 
Um, so that holds a kind of a special place in, in my broadcast career, and I associate those days with you and, and that show. And then I always tell people, so that show was on for two hours, and then I ran the board on the station uh, for three or four hours after that. Oh, and God it was, bless you. It was an interesting <laughs> time because it was, well, I, I loved it because the guy who came on WBT locally in Charlotte before that was Rockin' Ray Gooding. Mm. So I got to know Ray. Yep. So I would come in and I would talk to Ray, and he would finish up his show, and then you'd have Carolina Sports Sunday for two hours, and then, believe it or not, the Ross Perot Show. Ross Perot, Listening to America, is brought to you in part by The Club and Select Quote. Good evening. This is Ross. Thank you for being with us tonight. We've got a very special guest. Be sure you have something to write with. To give you an idea, I mean, WBT at this point in time was sort of thinking about moving away from music, but it hadn't yet. So if you listen during the week, like when Collins was on, you'd hear like Phil Collins and you'd hear Michael Bolton. It was quote unquote AC. You know, A lot adult, of Mike and the Mechanics. Yes, adult contemporary. But then late at night on Sunday nights at the end of my shift that started with Carolina Sports Sunday, they had a show called The Swingin' Years. <laughs> you remember this yes. show? Someone once said to understand the present, you have to study the past. Well, this is Chuck Cecil with music to study by. Music of the swinging years. Chuck, Chuck Cecil. And I learned how to rack up the reel-to-reel. And so anyway, this is uh, my formative years here, and, and, and Zoke was well-established by then. But, hey, you know, I, I can't think of my time starting here and not meeting you and, and getting to know you, and, and you introduced me to people. And so you, you probably have an idea, but really more than you'll ever know were a huge part of me getting here and then wanting to stay here so i appreciate that i um, mean and i'm glad i had that influence it's probably just indirectly as you said probably the more thing is me running in and jumping in the newsroom and running about there's not a lot of free time but i remember it's like that one of those mental images when you brought up rock and ray you know you park in the parking lot here come up the loading dock and there'd be that white van parked right up in the loading van uh, area there to unload stuff and it was ray's white band filled with record albums and the mm-hmm. door would be open because he would uh, he would change his mind about what albums he'd want to play and come in and out of uh, for his show which led into our Carolina Sports Sunday show so every Sunday he'd come in and see that van and see Ray and you know I, I, certain people they say, you hear their voice and you just for me I just have to like impersonate him it's like alright okay <laughs> you know, it was one of Ray's things like alright okay he had different tones to say alright okay and so, <laughs> Yeah, like walking around and like how I impersonate Eugene and Bill Rosinski and yes. different people. It's like I'd, I'd find myself impersonating Ray to Ray. He would say something. I go, all right, okay. I'm like, I'm impersonating <laughs> you right. to you. The Eugene impersonation, <clears throat> which we still keep around because, you know. Is that illegal? It, it has a little Ray. I mean, Ray, it, it harkens back to Ray Gooding. They so. don't have to be good or accurate. It has to have a flavor <laughs> yes. and essence of the person, and then you, you know who it is. And I don't. And then Eugene never met Ray, so it would be funny if those two ever I got a chance to have a conversation. <laughs> you imagine that conversation? Mm. Move over, my lasses and ladders, and make way for your soul rocking daddy. Rockin' Ray is my name, and taking care of the business is my claim to fame. <gasps> yeah, okay. They have a lot of energy, but like Ray was more subdued. Like, was like all right, okay. I want to say it's my... Plum, pleasing, pleasant pleasure to be a part of this very auspicious occasion. No doubt. I want to see the Panthers go ahead and eat. And he was so cool. And he would tell us great stories on the air because we'd be waiting to go on. And, uh, really, you know, like long-form breaks he would do and play longer songs. And uh, it was just kind of a, a bygone day. But, I mean, that was the days of just 
physically bringing in record albums and playing in a lot of what we did was on carts, which looked like eight tracks. And so I had a lot of interviews and different things that I would plug into these carts and play. So I'd have a stack of carts, as we would say, and I'd have different interviews or parts of interviews or music beds and different little things like that. And so that's how we did it because this was pre-digital era, being able to do all that. Yeah, and uh, another thing Ray did is you'd have to come on and, and give a weather update. And Ray would always say, you know, it's 62, 11, 10, WBT <laughs> degrees. Uh, so good times. All right. So uh, I want to talk about the Carolina Sports Sunday era for a variety of reasons, as you heard. But you know what I'm building towards here. So you're sports director. You're doing, uh, you know, you're, you're doing some Charlotte Hornets here and there. You're doing, uh, this is, traffic is done. You're finished doing traffic. It's exclusively sports now. But you're uh, heading up the sports department. Department. And this is pre-Jerry V show in the mid-90s, so they had a show called The, the Sports Huddle, mm-hmm. which came on at uh, 6.30 every night. WBT Sports Huddle. And uh, this is during an era where you had, some nights you had Charlotte Hornets games, but when you didn't have Charlotte Hornets games, you know, that's one thing Steve Martin kind of carved out. Steve Martin carved out the era of sports having a daily home on this 50,000-watt radio station every night, which is, you know, that's a big deal. And and before the, the Panthers came along, that was, you know, as you say, that was a big part of your week, doing that call-in show. And I kind of connect, a Sports Huddle came before Carolina Sports Sunday, but people who listen to Charlotte Sports Talk now, and it's kind of ironic that WFNZ is now in the same building as us. But, you know, back in those days, if you listen to sports talk radio in Charlotte and especially on WBT, you know, it was a lot of... Uh, let's talk about the Hornets, but it was a lot of, you had callers like John Red Fox, and I remember, because I had to screen a lot of these phone calls mm-hmm. when I was working behind the scenes, but you know, this was back in an era where uh, the callers were personalities in of themselves, and you know, it really wasn't a sports huddle, or it wasn't a Carolina Sports Sunday until you had some of these people call in and, and check in with you guys. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Red Fox was a daily. He was one of those ones, I hate to say, he called so much. Like, every now and then, we'd have to say, not tonight, John. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's because, you know, it's, I know you want to come on, or we got to keep it short. Or they would hold, he hold. We got, you know, a commercial break and, like, another interview come up. They would hold ungodly amounts of time, 45 minutes sometimes, to, to speak with us, which is great. And John just passed away. A lot of folks remember that from about maybe two years ago, one of the all-time great fans. Maybe a year and a half ago, maybe not even that long ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had, I think I heard you bring this up. I was just kind of listening to the morning show while working in the room. Wayne and Chuck, mm-hmm. the Duke fans, they were so... And vitriol. I, I mean, they were pro-Duke, anti, as they would call it, uh, Chapel Hill College or whatever. And just like El Dino was Dean Smith. And it was just like, it was so much just animosity. We certainly limited them and tried not to get them on the show. And we started limiting them. And they would try to trick us to get on the air with fake names. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like well, and, and I, I said, I think when I brought it up, I said, Chuck and Chet. And you're right, it's Wayne and Chuck. Yeah. Oh, now I remember it like it was yesterday. And so that was an era of talk radio that's kind of gone. Most of talk radio is either host and or guest driven now. But, you know, phone calls just for the sake of phone calls is and I'm not even arguing that that it should be this way. But uh, because I think sometimes when you have a show where the guests, the callers take too much control, that can be a detriment, too. But this was back during an era uh, and, and this sort of crosses over into Hello Henry land where he had 
callers that weren't sports talk people, but they were recurring guests. That's that's the way WBT was mm-hmm. at this snapshot in, in history where you're talking about. But so here's what I want to know, and I'm, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Um, I talked to Steve Martin about this when he was in here on this same podcast. So you're working at WBT, and things are going well, and the Charlotte sports scene is percolating along. And in your case, uh, the Charlotte Hornets were the biggest thing in town. They were the only major league sports team, and they dominated everything. As I told Steve, and of course I know he agreed with this, there can never be a team debuting in Charlotte the way the Hornets did because there will never be a time where there are not other things to compete with on the same scene. However, the National Football League, the NFL, is the behemoth. It's the, it's the biggest of the big. So tell me the first time you got an inkling that an NFL team might be coming to the station or to the town where you were living. Well, we um, – and Rick, you had Rick Jackson on, our general manager, uh, not too long ago for these uh, podcasts. So uh, Rick and I, or sometimes just me, would go travel to these expansion meetings. And um, if you remember, the franchise was actually awarded in 1993, mm-hmm. two years before they can play in 1995. And so I was at that meeting in Chicago where Jerry Richardson looked at the Channel 3 camera and said, thank you, thank you, thank you to the folks of the Carolinas for getting the franchise. But there were a number of meetings before that. I traveled to probably three or four of those, and some with Rick and some alone, uh, just uh, kind of establishing that we're the Hornet station, we're the news talk leader, we're the sports talk station. So we knew the Richardsons. We knew Jerry and Mark and John Richardson. Uh, They, in advance of the franchise coming, were putting their team in place, which was Mike McCormick, pro football. Hall of Famer, Cleveland Browns legend, which was great for me being a Browns fan, although previous era to my growing up uh, as team president. And Mike was kind of the guy that was uh, the insider with the NFL because he'd been the general manager with the Seattle Seahawks or the team president, one or the other, with the Seattle Seahawks. So he brought that. And eventually they would bring in later Bill Polian as general manager from Buffalo. So we were doing shows, weekly shows with them, updating the expansion hopes and, and processes of competing with Jacksonville and competing with Memphis, and I'm trying to think who all, was it maybe Baltimore hadn't gotten the Browns yet, so I think maybe Baltimore was looking to get their team back after losing the Colts. Uh, So there were all these different cities that were in play, trying to get uh, the teams that eventually would come into the NFL. So we did coverage and meeting with them and having them on the sports huddle shows and all that, and then traveling to these meetings. So I, I knew several years out, the people that were the particulars, Max Mulliman was a huge one. I can't go without saying Max Mulliman, for those who remember that. He was the, the founder of the PSL, and that was the financing component of uh, getting season tickets where you also paid uh, a seat license to put money down to help you know build the eventual stadium and, and build the franchise down here uh, was Max Mulliman. So I'd have all these people on all the time to talk about the process of that. And then, again, was there in Chicago in 93 when it was awarded. And then we built the broadcast team. And one of the things I knew uh, was that they said early on, we want our play-by-play guy to be somebody with lots of experience doing it. So I knew from the beginning that they liked me, but they wanted to have a, a major college. They literally said major college or NFL voice to be the guy, and um, I was actually in on the process of not only did I hire David Lankin, our producer, I was in on the meetings where we picked Bill Rosinski, and I put my my foot down that Bill by far was the best guy, and he was doing the Atlanta Falcons then, but he had been doing Mutual. Uh, network before that doing games and bill had like i said with john stokes this incredible voice and delone takes a knee and guess what the improbable season for the carolina panthers continues yes charlotte there is a super bowl and we're in it 
We're going to Houston in two weeks to play the New England Patriots for the championship of the National Football League. I said, if it ain't going to be me, it got to be this guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's good. And Rick Jackson and myself and whoever else was in it with the Panthers. Uh, because we actually did more of the broadcasting stuff. It's all in-house with the team now. But back then, we had a big say-so as to what it was going to be because Bill came here and worked with Al Gardner on the morning show for years. Mm -hmm. And that was part of his job. So anyway, Hard David as a producer, uh, picked him out out of the people. And then also uh, Bill uh, coming in was part of that. Roman was the first one that was solidified in Roman Gabriel because he's a former NC State guy. Of course, Mike McCormick, Bill Pullian, they had to have Roman. And I knew Roman really well. He was with the Charlotte Knights and the Gastonia Rangers and, uh, again, doing sports talk and talking about big personalities in this area back then. Roman was the first one in. I knew I was going to be in on the broadcast doing at least a pregame, and it turned into this role that became a third commentator as a color commentator, but different than Roman's. And then Bill became the final piece of who's going to be the centerpiece, the play-by-play voice. That's how that all came about. You know, I was cleaning out uh, some stuff at my parents' house recently, and I found, I don't mean to go back for a second, but I found a, a pennant a little pennant flag that had the WBT logo on it and just a football. And so this was not Panthers logo yet. This was, uh, as I can uh, best put together, because I remember listening to the station when this was going on. But, you know, so there was a, a time when when it was all about not the Panthers, but it was about WBT and, and kind of joining forces with uh, people in the community to get a team. So there's paraphernalia back from the days when it was just, we want a generic football team. Yeah. So you, you remember that pennant I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I do yeah. remember it. Yeah. So I'll have to, I'll have to bring that in because I found it the other day and I said, this is, boy, this is back from a, a, a different era. But so, um, yeah. I still have the brochure for buying PSLs. Yeah. You know, you know, stuff you just keep. It was like this nice... Uh, obviously multicolor brochure about buying PSLs to help build the franchise. And we did a promo that ran on TV. I guess it was a commercial or a promo of some sort. Rick Jackson and I were out there uh, on the grounds where the stadium was going to be built because, of course, the first year was played at Clemson while they built Erickson Stadium at that time. And we did these uh, commercials about building the stadium and promos for it uh, with the construction workers out there working in the background as we were on this dirt pile that is now Bank of America Stadium. Well, and and you talk about uh, opportunities that you've had over the years to to do other things and and you know look i mean radio's day to day for everybody so who knows what's down the line but i have to believe that um your connection and i say this on the morning show every so often i mean here's a guy who's been with the franchise all the way back to the very very beginning even before the city was an awarded a team you you'd be hard pressed to go around the nfl right now i mean i'm sure there are some cities where there are people that are in your same type boat but there's got to be just a few and far between people who can say, uh, I've been with this franchise even before it was a franchise. Like, you go into Panthers in, like, uh, negative years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> Pre-birth, yes. Yeah, pre-birth. So i, I got to believe that Back uh, at conception. The, the affinity that you have or the connection that you have to the Panthers uh, is a little bit different. I mean, this is something that, that obviously you have feel some ownership or connection to, but not many people have the connection the way you do. No, I mean, I literally have 
as you said, things that predate the franchise being here. I remember when they did a uniform unveiling, and they had this god-awful <laughs> light blue with silver numbers edition with black pants maybe even of what the uniform was going to be. It never hit the field. Uh, they, they changed off because the numbers were too hard to read. So just all that minutia uh, of that. I mean, the minutia of the behind-the-scenes putting the broadcast team together, um, them picking Dom Capers off the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching staff to be the first head coach of this team and meeting Dom the first time he came in here and, and speaking with him uh, when he just arrived his very first day on the scene here. So I did a speaking event, and I, you know, we all get speaking events, but I, had, it's, I just did it the other day at, at Myers Park, and I said – you know, as you hear me telling you stories about me being in high school and college and being at WBT when I'm 22, sports director at 25, in the NFL before I was 30, I said, now, to bring it to current day, I'm that guy that was here when the Hornets started. <laughs> I was here when I was at the expansion meetings for the Panthers being an idea. I go, I had my hip replaced in January. I became a grandfather in April. When did I become the old guy? <laughs> because I still I was the youngest of three. I was always like the youngest, the newest, the the the, the, the way ahead of his time guy. And now I'm like the dean of sports broadcasters because of just longevity of being in place for so long. Because I still feel like the same person, but the decades, the years really do start rolling by very quickly as you keep doing this. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not even the young guy anymore. <laughs> I was the tiny kid for so long, and now I have like a, a whole uh, head of gray hair thanks to Pat McCrory, but. That, that's another that's another podcast. We could do a podcast for every year that the Panthers have existed, and, and you've got stories to fill all of that. You talked about uh, filling out the very first team. You, you see the team built, you see the broadcast team built, and then actually to be part of the broadcast in the inaugural season. Mm-hmm. What was that like? It was amazing. And I always tell people we had 21 road trips because the home games yeah. were in Clemson. And just like it is now, you can't get there from here and you can't get back there from there because of I-85 construction. So it was a lot of travel. It was a hard year physically. Uh, Practices were down at Winthrop. And the 21st game was that they played in Canton to open the season, which was uh, great for me. I opened my career with that by doing a game half an hour from my house. I grew up and had dinner with my family the night before my first game uh, against uh, Jacksonville. Carolina Panther football history about to begin. Sisson ready. The Hall of Fame game is underway. End over end down the middle of the field. This is Baldwin at the nine yard line. All the way to the 20. 25. Randy Baldwin going across the 35. Up near the 39 yard line. It'll be first and 10 there for the Carolina Panthers. Nice return from the nine to the 39. Baldwin, the number one uh, kick returner in the AFC last year. Roman, they'd like to see him a little bit at running back. Mainly a great special teams player. That's why he's here. Number three in all of the NFL. Number one in the AFC last season, as you mentioned. And I'm sure he's going to get some playing time at the running back spot because he has a lot of talent. Young fella needs some action. Bob Christian scored the first touchdown in a preseason game. First down and 10 Panthers from the Jacksonville 17-yard line. Frank Reich back to pass. Pumps, fires. Christian open at the 10. Christian at the 5. Christian dives in the end zone. Touchdown, Panthers. Bob Christian. And mark it down at 340. On a Saturday afternoon at the Hall of Fame game, the Panthers with their first touchdown. Oh, but there's a flag. <laughs> At 341, there was a flag. And it looks as though a receiver might have moved. Now they're gonna count. That's they're gonna a touchdown. <laughs> it's a touchdown. A face mask call. Number 96 on the defense. That penalty is declined. Touchdown. 
everything was a year of first. Everything was a first game, first preseason game, first home game, first win against the Jets and Bubby Brister back in the day. And then um, just kind of making our way through um, that first season, which uh, turned out better than expected after losing the first five. And they go on to play great. And we all know the second year was reaching somehow, as Jacksonville did, the conference championship games in our second year because uh, they took Bill Poley, and to his credit, took advantage of the the expansion draft and free agency and loaded up with a bunch of pretty good football players that uh, you could get competitive right away with. That didn't have longevity, as it turned out, but for being a second year, got up and running with a lot of his former Buffalo Bill guys and other free agents from Pittsburgh and good drafts, uh, building the roster quickly with that. And then on the broadcast side, I mean, working with Bill and Roman, two great pros, and said Roman was such a character. I tell people he's Joe Namath. He just doesn't quite have the notoriety of a Joe Namath. I mean, he was very much like the West Coast Joe Namath living here from he's back in Wilmington now and in, in NC State I mean he played for the Rams for the bulk of his career so his pro career was there I lost count of how many people would walk up to us and have their babies and say this is baby Roman this is baby Gabe and G- baby Gabriel and you know I'm named I'm named after you and just the you know, Roman was iconic and we were once uh, Bill Roman there's about eight of us we're in New York City in Manhattan having dinner at Smith and Walensky's and this was the end of Wayne Gretzky's playing career. His last year, he's with the New York Islanders. He walks by with Scott Stevens from the Islanders. He stops, looks at our table, and goes, you're Roman Gabriel. Wayne Gretzky sits down at our table and hangs out for like 15, 20 minutes wanting to talk football and hang out with us. But mostly, obviously, the tie was Roman Gabriel there. So it was just uh, those were those were great, exciting years. Well, when I had Bill Rosinski in here last year, he was talking about Roman. And he started running down the list of all the, the shows that he'd seen Roman on. And so I ended up going back and, and, and finding the audio from Bewitched. And then he was in a John Wayne movie. And he was on Gilligan's Island. Yep. So, I mean, it's like uh, I got to chance to meet uh, Roman a few times uh, by virtue of working here not not the date you know not like you did but uh, when you sit down with them there's this kind of uh, simultaneous wow this is Roman Gabriel and then it's like this is down to earth Roman Gabriel because he was I mean that that broadcast team you know you talked about Bill and, and you talk about Roman and then you talk about you and I, I know you are now and you were then but the glue of that you your role so let's talk about that for a second because I was thinking before we did this interview today, I think to myself, have you ever missed a Panthers broadcast? Nope. We, uh, I'd been to, in person, every game until COVID last year, and we went to two road trips last year. We drove separately from the team, uh, and the other ones we did from the booth here in Charlotte. But I've worked every single game, but because of COVID, I wasn't able to attend uh, the bulk of last season because of the rules of COVID. Uh, but I've worked every single Panther game, preseason, regular season, postseason, uh, just till last year and not attended I had attended every game until last season, but I've worked every game. Yeah, worked every game. So watched every moment of every game. And when we talk about that, so you you talked about uh, you know Bill coming in and saying, "Well, if it's not going to be me, it's going to be this guy." I, but what you do and have always done, I mean, it's one thing, Bill and, and Mick now, uh, and, and the color commentators, uh, Eugene and, and Jake, and I could go down the list. I mean, they all have important and tough jobs. But what you do is it's not just the three-hour game or however long the game is. It's the pregame show. And when I say pregame, that's what? It's it's two hours of, of local and one hour of network. Correct. So three and, hours altogether of pregame before we even get onto the the game part of the game. And then you have a, a network post-game show and then local WBT coverage on the end of that. And so 
all the way back to the beginning, your broadcast day, your role is really, I mean, during the game, it's it's a color commentator and really sort of, like I said, the glue. Uh, but, you know, before and after that, I mean, you're you're involved in every aspect of that broadcast. You're you're the you're the quarterback. There's three hours until kickoff in the National Football League. That'll be a game winner. Get ready. Keep pounding Carolina Panthers. Now to Jim Zilke, live from Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York, with exclusive pregame coverage of today's game between the Panthers and Buffalo Bills on your official home for Panthers football. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Welcome to upstate New York. It is uh, not snowing, but the possibility we could see some today. Current temperature 26 degrees on a gray uh, day here in uh, in the Buffalo area. Orchard Park to be exact for the Panthers and the Buffalo Bills. Carolina comes into this game with a record of... Monday night is Panther talk, and I'm all, uh, in this case doing Zooms with the coach that that were all uh, as media members on not a, a exclusive one and then with some players on mondays so monday is that tuesday's an off day in the league it's very much a scheduled thing wednesday is uh, until this year gone to practices every wednesday i'm not at the practices again because of covid but i go to the stadium and go to the in-person podium um uh, press conferences with the coach and the players used to have the cam and coach things and now it's <laughs> it's coach rule and whichever players they bring into the room for that and then i get some player interviews from that that'll run on our pregame show in conjunction with those uh, that are available to everybody that are there but i get my one-on-one interviews during that time uh and then thursday and friday because of what it is now more zooms and that kind of thing as far as uh getting the uh, press conference audio and all that. And then it's the preparation during the week of the game broadcast and notes and my depth charts, uh, but also doing production pieces that run during that three-hour pregame of things that I voice or interviews I'm doing uh, that go to Dave Langton, our executive producer. And if it's a away game, we travel Saturday, do the game Sunday, come back Monday, start the whole cycle all over again. I've known you for a long time. People ask me sometimes about Jim and uh, all the things that you do over the course of the week. And I always say, I think... You know, Jim's in his wheelhouse. Jim's at his happiest on Sunday afternoons during NFL season and because there's a lot that goes into it. But, you know, and I'm on the air five hours a day, so I, I put a lot of prep into that. And I know that when you get in the seat in there and you start going, that's when you say, all right, here's all the stuff that I've put into this. And now let's let's let it all come together and let's let's do the thing. But Sunday afternoons in the fall on Panther games, you seem to me like that's when you're totally in your moment and and the happiest. No, I think you're right. I enjoy going back to what I said earlier, games, doing play-by-play, doing color in this case. But really the way I do color is it's kind of a morph of a play-by-play in color because a lot of times you'll make a call to play, and we want the experts like Jake and Jordan, whoever, to uh, to describe the X's and O's and the technicalities. There's, I've been around it long enough. I can do some of that, the obvious things, but they see minutia and have jargon that I would never use uh, because it's so detailed and so inside. Uh, but I can be a second set of play-by-play eyes that can further describe what happened, as you would as a play-by-play announcer. And then um, you're right. It's like... Uh, Jerry Sandusky, who's the voice of the Ravens, has this phrase, the haze in the barn. And with 1.17 left to play on Wild Card Weekend, the haze in the barn. The haze in the barn by the time I arrive. I've done all my notes and all my prep to the point where when I'm doing the game, I have my notes, I have my depth charts, but it's funny, I very seldom look at them because the preparation of doing it has put it in my head. And uh, this is very unfortunate, I'm going to say this, as a learner in college, maybe even in high school, I'm a cramming at the last minute, learning, memorizing kind of a person. And so a lot of times I'll do something and I'll, I'll pass a class or get an A in it or whatever, and then I'll forget most of it because I have to make space for the new stuff going in. So we'll do 
you know, Cowboys week. We'll do Eagles week, and I'll memorize numbers and all this information. But you can ask me about it now, and I'll be like, nah. <laughs> I'm a, I only know Viking stuff this week because I kind of learn it in the moment. It's kind of disposable information. So I'll oftentimes forget even where I was uh, two or three weeks ago. We went to Houston three weeks ago on a Thursday. So I do. It's just so much going on uh, that you're right. That part where I'm in the stadium doing the games. I've been so lucky in every broadcast team that we mentioned, all these different names and personalities have enjoyed working with truly all of them, all of them. And uh, they're all friends, and um, and some other more than others because of proximity and so forth. Like Roman, I used to keep up with a lot, not so much now. You know, Jake because he's here, we see him, we see Jordan less. But when Jordan was here, we, we, he'd come in on the morning show with us. is a blast to hang out with. So I've been fortunate to work with great, fun people who um, know football inside out and tolerate people like me and Mick, who you know weren't athletes to play at that level to know what we're talking about, but they. They appreciate uh, the art of the broadcasting and the painting of the picture and that conveying. To, I always view us as we're the conduit, we're the eyes and the ears to the people that aren't there. TV, you can see it. Radio, we have to describe it in a way that is interesting, uh, informative, hopefully entertaining and funny at times. Uh, but uh, if we don't tell you what's happening and the score and the down and the distance and the nuts and bolts and do all that stuff, uh, then we haven't done our job. So that's, that's what I look at as. Is there a moment during the Roman and Bill era I didn't have to be the moment, but one of your favorite moments or a moment that comes to mind during that era that uh, you always like to think back on? The first one that comes to mind is the first win. It's like I'm still sitting there, and our booth was high up at the top of Clemson at Memorial Stadium, was the shovel pass. Brister. Oh, shovel pass. Oh. Intercepted. Mills with the interception. He could go. He's at the 15, 10, 5. Mills has a touchdown. Oh. And Sam Mills takes it down to the one, and we're going to that, that's the play that solidified the first win after losing the first five. And it was just kind of this utter joy. And uh, that, that I remember as being a huge moment is the famous uh, Bill shovel pass. I said, shovel this. <laughs> I would just say stupid things like a hunk of cheese and stupid things I said through the years. Well, so, that one was when we the Panthers won and got set to go play the, the Packers in that NFC Championship game, and you said, I got a hankering. For a hunk of cheese. So my question there is, uh, these, and I, I could name three or four other ones uh, like that. Uh, actually, I could name probably 20 of them, but those moments where you say that, is that something that you've got in your head before the game starts that that would be funny to say and I'm going to I'm going to slot that in somewhere or is it more spontaneous than that not one time <laughs> <laughs> not one time not then not since not now I uh, I am very much uh, getting back to that Mike Collins kind of free form but it's like you know again you plan your notes you plan the important stuff but as far as I'm not a guy to have a, a saying or a go-to line or if we get to this point here's what I'm going to say here's what I'm going to do uh, so it's organic, and I hate to say, you know, my my superpower is I have something of a quick wit. No, that it is... just is. It's my. It's I, I can draw it. Like I could easily do my line anyway. Any of those kind of shows, I could do anything. Where it's like improv, go do it. I'm going to say it's your superpower, but I don't know that I've ever met anybody who has more of a superpower at that. Uh, and I think anybody that you talk to, if I had any person that has a connection to Zoki come in this room right now, and I'd say Jim Zoki, what's the first thing that you think of? Nine out of ten of them would say, whether it's Rosinski or Collins or Martin or whoever, would say, quickest wit I've ever known. And the very fact that you say to me that none of it ever is planned 
just blows my mind even more because you're the guy. I mean, I host a show every morning and I've done, you know, nearly 10 years with you. And there are days when we'll be talking about something and you'll say something and I'll think, man, I wish I'd thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or I'll say we'll be in the middle of a segment and we'll be, you know, 15 minutes later and I'll think, that would have been a great thing to say. And I'll think to myself, Zoki would have said it in the moment. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, to me, that is, that's the secret sauce of the Panthers broadcast. Uh, and the thing that makes you know that, uh, that, that Zoki uh, is every bit of everything I just said is the one constant in the broadcast all through the years with all the changing parts of the play-by-play guy, the color guys, you've been the, the constant and your ability to deliver those lines hasn't changed with any of the scenery around you. So it's, you know, that's 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 pretty cool. And what's interesting is, and we're all friends, and we all laugh about the things we say, but there's a lot of times it'll be, because we're doing a football game, I'll say something, and people don't see the smile on Nick's face or kind of a, a wink or whatever from Jake or whatever, and they'll listen and they'll say, man, you said something that was hilarious, and they didn't even react. So there's kind of almost like this connection between me and the audience is like almost like at times, not ongoing, but at times, where it's almost like this subculture of like, they're hearing, like, they're in, like, I'm doing that thing from the office where I'm looking at the camera, like Jim from the office saying, are you seeing this? And, and the audience has that connection while the game is still going on. So it's almost like this weird, almost awkward juxtaposition of the games going on. I'll say something like, I got a hankering for a hunk of cheese. <laughs> the, you know, I think it was the first year we're playing the Chicago Bears and Rashawn Salam, the late running back now, he won the Heisman at Colorado gets tackled by like three or four Panthers behind the line of scrimmage for a couple-yard loss. And this was a phrase that was used at that time that's not used much anymore, but I said, well, that's the old hide-in-the-salam play (laughs) (laughs) for Rashawn Salam. And it's like there was a silence of just like, what? (laughs) But no response like that. Just in their minds, I'm sure they're going, what? And just like people were told me the next day, like, I drove off the road. I was crying, laughing so hard. I can't believe you said that. And that's where the quick wit, like, it could be good, and it can also be, you know, maybe you like to have a few back. It's like those uh, errant throws that go uh, out of bounds. I think that was a great line. I don't know that I should have delivered it. It's still a great line, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, like I said, uh, all the seasons, uh, you know, two decades plus of the Carolina Panthers, uh, maybe another podcast will start going on, you know, best plays from best years. But, um, after the first 10 years, Bill parts ways with the Panthers. Uh, cycled yeah, Roman the did the first seven years. Okay. And then Eugene replaced Roman in year eight. And Bill, yes, did 10 years. And then Mick came in and has done now 17 years since then. And I know, uh, so, so Bill was with Eugene for a short time there. But mm-hmm. really, the point of delineation uh, begins what I call the, the second it's not half anymore, but the second part of the Panthers broadcast incarnation, uh, which is Mick Mixon. Eugene Robinson, Jim Zoki, and, and obviously you get uh, Jordan and Jake and a few others in there towards the end of where we are right now. But, you know, the years with Eugene and Mick, uh, first of all, Mick Mixon. So you talked about how Bill got into the mix. How did Mick get into the mix? So, you know, Bill got let go, and then they're going to replace Bill. And um, long story short on that one was they liked me in the role I was in, doing all the things we've said that I do, and they just wanted to replace the seat. And there were a number of people that, uh, you know, had uh, Tar Heel backgrounds and liked, you know, Woody Durham is so iconic, right? right? Voice of the Tar Heels. And so Mick Mixon's up the road in Chapel Hill as Woody's 16-year color commentator. And just to them, that was the sound they wanted and what they wanted to do. And Mick uh, knew some folks in the organization, too, and was 
perfectly poised and uh, prepared at that stage of his career to make that jump. So, you know, they, they put Mick into that role. And I've, they're both great friends of mine. They're both different. You know, Bill is kind of like that Pavarotti, that big, you know, Frank Sinatra kind of voice. And then Mick is this, like, folksy, down-to-earth. Deadpan. Yeah, deadpan. <laughs> uh, very giving with the time on the air. Sorry, sharing time on the air. So two very good broadcasters, excellent broadcasters, with uh, two different approaches to it entirely. And uh, I love them equally. Like, you talk about my two dogs or my kids or whoever. They're different and, and love them both and love them all. And uh, two different styles. And it's, it's still mind-numbing to me because those first 10 years, I guess maybe each year has so many new first-time moments. To think that Mick's now done at 17 compared to Bill's 10 feels like, wait, I would have thought the other way around, 17 mm-hmm. and 10. Well, and when I had Mick uh, in for the uh, the Century podcast that we did, I said to him, I remember when Bill left and they announced that Mick was the guy. And I remember I said to Mick, I, I, this is not meant as disrespect at all. This is actually, um, this, this, is, this speaks to... Uh, how impressive to me that it is that you made the transition because everybody at that point in time knew Mick as the color commentator to Woody's sort of Bill Rosinski-like authoritative, over-the-top, you know, I mean, he was a, a force of nature kind of. And I said, when they announced that Mick was the guy, I thought to myself, well, Mick's one of the most uh, accomplished sports broadcasters that I know, but I, I think of Mick as color, not play-by-play. So Mick comes in and makes that pivot seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys have evolved into what you are now, especially during the, the era where you had worked with Eugene and Mick together for uh, so many years, and I said, you know, the fact that you made that transition when that wasn't the way that I thought of you, and now you're absolutely the the play-by-play of 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 an NFL team. I said that that shows your versatility, and I, I it really made me kind of marvel even more so at the kind of all-around broadcaster that Mick Mixon is. I think you know, and we kind of vibe a lot the same way because I think we're the same. I mean, yeah. he was kind of to uh, Woody what I've been to him and to uh, Bill, and we understand both roles. Who've also both have done play-by-play, and of course, I get uh, until this year done the opportunity of doing the preseason uh, play-by-play, and it was changed up in mix last year. That'd be different this year. Uh, so we both understand the role of play-by-play and have done it. And do, do color. We both like to have fun, not at the expense of doing the, the important stuff, but we both like to add some humor and, and have uh, fun within the broadcast as well. And neither one of you take yourself no. too seriously. No, we don't. We would put our two of ourselves at the, the, the back of the line for anything, and do we just... Uh, uh, I think it's good to be humble in this business, but it's, it's genuine. I mean, we, we are genuinely just... Uh, pleased and happy and blessed to have uh, long careers in this business. Uh, we both feel the same way. Like we mentioned that thing about, you know, certain broad- the haze in the barn or painted black and gold. Like we're, we're more, we like the organic of just uh, not knowing what you're going to say. It's okay to have a sense of what you might say because you're preparing for the Super Bowl. You're preparing for something. I think Bill and Mick, you've had on before, both had a sense of something they might say in a broad strokes way, but not written out where they're reading it off an index card kind of a thing. So that's that's what I appreciate with Mick, too, is that we'll be friends forever, just like Bill and I will be. But uh, Mick, and I, Mick will text me, like, Dude, we have so many stupid inside jokes and <laughs> nuances and, you know, stories we've told at banquets and just funny things that we've seen sitting on the back of the bus on a Panthers road trip that it could be a word or a phrase and or a look of the eye. Somebody will be talking between us and we'll look at each other and make, you know, eyeballs at each other. And it's just like we just have too many probably hundreds of those to even count uh, just because we've been together for so long. Well, and uh, what about Eugene Robinson? Oh, love Eugene. 
Eugene's my dog. <laughs> so Eugene also did 17 years on the uh, broadcast as far as the color commentator, but continues on Panther Talk with us every Monday and uh, is on the postgame show with Brett and Mike and Sharon. And Eugene, again, another lifelong friend who's just nobody's had more energy. Picks him up, rocks him like a little baby in a cradle, and then smashes his head down into the dirt. Here comes the who, ready or not. Here comes the boys from the south. Here comes the who, ready or not. And I think kind of maybe that some people miss with all the, the the energy is the first thing that comes to your mind and the enthusiasm is just if you listen to the words, the insight and the knowledge, and I know you know it, of football and the minutia of breaking down plays. I mean, it's just like any coaches uh, over at Charlotte Christian. I mean, the guy just knows football. He's a student of the game as well and a coach of the game. Here's a throw in zone caught. Devin Funches touchdown, Carolina. Devin Funches, if your mouth hurts, you need to keep your mouth hurting because that was a beautiful <laughs> catch. That's an inside slant scene away from a guy who likes to hit low. The ball is thrown on the outside, but also inside so that the defensive back can't get to it. And a beautiful catch. Right at the eye in Carolina. Funches with tight coverage got free for the score. One of Cam Newton's best throws. He does a stutter move on the outside quickly, then breaks, beats back the defensive back inside, then gets the field on the seam route, and that ball is thrown on a dime. My goodness. In addition to 16 years of playing it in the NFL, I mean, he's just fantastic and a great personality, larger than life. Uh, so just, again, one of my all-time favorite people on the planet. Well, and I, I told Mick when he was in here, I said, uh, you know, when I think of the, the the incarnations of the broadcast team, look, there'll always be a special place in, in, in my broadcast heart and so many people listening to this right now of Bill and Roman and Jim. But in the exact same way, but a completely different way, there's the uh, Mick, Jim, Eugene. And I said, you know, in the beginning, as much as Bill and Roman were sort of these big personalities uh, that you had to coexist with, with Eugene and Mick, by the time you all got toward the middle to the end of your run and you're so comfortable with each other, I told Mick I likened it to kind of like three guys sitting on a couch watching a game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like listening to three guys have a conversation that know a lot more about it than you do, but it was so just conversational and and real. Mm -hmm. And football teams out there, there are only 32 of them, but each one of them has a history of their broadcast teams, and I don't know that you could find a team that has two broadcast teams, and I'm just talking about the first two, uh, that were so different but so equally great. Yep. And ironically, just as a subplot, this, the Super Bowl year, 38, was uh, Bill, Eugene, and me. So in that little window of time of those three years, you know, one of those was uh, the, one of the biggest years. Super Bowl, I, I think back to, to me, still the biggest play in franchise history, the Steve Smith double overtime X-Clown touchdown to win the game, the walk-off in St. Louis against the Rams. And Eugene, while Bill's calling the game kind of in perfect pace, Eugene going, it's over, it's over, <laughs> while Bill's calling the play. But not like overbearing on the play-by-play call, but yeah. the, the, the compliment to it. So um, uh, there was that short window, but an important year with Super Bowl 38 with uh, with the Eugene and Bill and, and myself together there. They're now moving right to left as we start over time quarter number two blitz again coming Delone pumps he's got time throws down Bill Smith at the 45 to the 40 it's breaks over. free it's 20 10 5 touchdown Woo. touchdown Steve Smith 69 yards and we are going to the NFC championship game and what an incredible win 
Holla at the boys. Holla at your boy. Holla at your boy. That's what I'm talking about. Steve Smith, incredible catch off that little slant route. Picks it up, and then he makes a guy miss. Testile, see ya. I'll holla at you back in Carolina. Eliminates the kicker factor, doesn't it? I know. Eliminate the kicker. Up through, Bill. Wow. Two different groups. And then now, fast forward to the last couple years, it's been weird, of course, because it was 2019 with uh, Jordan and Jake, with Jake doing the bulk of the games and Jordan doing a handful, which is the case again this year. Last year was COVID, so we had Kurt Coleman because he was local, and Kurt did a great job. So Kurt Coleman will be, uh, again, forever one of my favorites uh, for coming in and doing the season last year they did with us uh, in, in the COVID season without really getting to travel at all. And all three of those guys, uh, and Jake and Jordan in particular, no prep, no meetings, just sat down in between me and Mick, calling the games like three guys sitting on the sofa watching it. I, I always equate it to you of Mystery Science 3000 for, <laughs> for football. That's why I like the Eli Peyton Manning Monday night football thing. That thing where you're calling the game, you're learning stuff, you're keeping up with it, and on the side plot you might tell some story or, or do something funny um, and, and cut up with those guys. And that's uh, that's what I enjoy about all the different personalities we worked with. Well, and you've been doing this for so long that now you've gotten to the point in your tenure doing what you're doing that you're calling games with guys that you used to call their games. Yes. Which not is lost cool. on me. I feel very old. <laughs> well. I feel very old. I remember one of the first times I felt very old was... Uh, thinking back when we got Stephen Davis as a running back way back when. I was younger, obviously much much younger than with the Panthers. And I had called his Shrine Bowl game <laughs> at Memorial Stadium here in Charlotte wow. when he was playing at Spartanburg High School. And then you hear about their kids coming up and, and this and that. So yeah, I mean, yeah, you've been around. I'm going knocking on the door of three decades now, 27 years uh, of doing this. But yeah, called their games. Used to interview Jake every Wednesday after practice. I remember when Jordan was winding down his career, he actually started doing, uh, when podcasting was starting, podcast and little radio hits he became a part of our pregame show with a with a segment because he was interested in the broadcasting aspect and just again two of the funniest people you've ever met jake and jordan beyond being great guys and great football players so it's uh it's fun uh, watching them want to do this because it's not like oh our careers are over i guess we'll do radio they enjoy and they prepare and they take it seriously and they're part of the broadcast team in a big way so each one of these Again, Eugene playing 16 years, Roman Gabriel, and so many Hall of Fames, except for the one in Canton, where he should be, that these guys just kind of you know, eased into the broadcast booth and, and, and took that job as seriously as they did the, the game day roles they had. Let's swing it back around. And again, like I said, we could do eight more podcasts on just Panthers. But let's swing it back around here. Uh, it, we need to mention the fact that uh, when you, unlike Steve Martin, when the Panthers came along and you joined the Carolina Panthers, you never left WBT. You know, Steve uh, was sports director, but eventually went and worked for the Hornets exclusively. Uh, you have been at WBT, except for those five years when when uh, the, the rights changed and you were over at uh, at WRFX for uh, for about you know five years, like I said. But all the while, you've still been working at the mothership here at the at the station, uh, doing mornings, uh, some afternoons, but mostly mornings. Mm-hmm. And you've worked uh, obviously with me now, but I'm far from the only morning show uh, incarnation. Uh, that aspect of it, staying and having a foot in the door over here at One Julian Price Place, while also being the huge uh, part of that Panthers operation, uh, it's been important to you to to maintain a presence in both places. They work a hand in glove. I mean, really, it's just like the two go together, and this is where the the rights belong, and uh, we'll see if they continue in the future. But to to me, 
And then adding WFNZ, which I'm also on their shows uh, to a lesser degree every every morning as well with uh, Mac and T-Bone, is that, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about the subject of what I do so I can bring an insight from being over there. And also it fits the format here as opposed to a music station where you're kind of you're kind of forcing it in. You're kind of you know adding it on, but it doesn't really fit uh, the format of what's expected over there. And I've gotten to work with, uh, as you said, we could go through the list of all the people through the years. Well, you mentioned Russell and Flynn back in the yeah. day, but what about, uh, for example, John Robinson? Yep, John Robinson, I think, was the next in line with that. And John and I were about, you know, he's about four years older than me. But again, it was like a younger feeling of the two of us doing the show back then. We were both around late 20s or whatever doing that show together. And uh, it's a blast. And John was just uh, a former Maryland basketball player. So he's a news guy, but he had a sports background. And uh, our families got together and just uh, we hung out off, off the air. I remember one year we decided... All right, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day are going to hit during the week, but we still have to work. <laughs> and so we decided, heck with it, we're going to go out for New Year's Eve. So we got uh, our wives together. We went out, and we went to the Double Door Inn. <laughs> Never forget, stayed out late, and then got done after midnight, obviously by like 1230 or so, went home. Show starts as it does now then at 5 a.m., Alarm goes off at, you know, 3.45, 4 o'clock. We come, we just look at each other like, never again. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do this show and stay out and have New Year's Eve type nights <laughs> and do that. But we both had uh, our first kids around the first time, our first uh, newborn babies around the same time. Uh, so John will always hold a special place in my heart. And he left here to go down to Channel 3 and then uh, eventually became the PA announcer, by the way, for a few years with the Carolina Panthers. And obviously, uh, for those who know, he's had some uh, uh, troubles since then dealing with things. But uh, John, uh, for our time together, and, and I guess in hindsight it was a shorter amount of time, a couple of years, I really enjoyed those years. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I've had some experiences with John along the way over the years, too. And one of the most naturally gifted broadcasters that I've ever been around. I mean, I, he's had his struggles in recent years, and the one thing I think of when I think of him in that light is just, you know, uh, one of the, the naturals that I met along the way that, um, you know, I, I hope things, uh, I hope I hear him on in the air somewhere so, again mm-hmm. someday. Maybe we will. And then Mike Collins, uh, you know, you know very well, Mike Collins did almost every shift, it seemed, and worked down at Channel 3. Uh, so Collins was in the morning for a while. When I met you, you were doing sports with him in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And that was like, uh, I mean, that's, I could do a whole podcast on those shows because the two of you together had a lot of fun in that afternoon uh, stretch. Oh, we did. Again, just um, as I think back, I didn't really think about it in the moment, but thinking back, it's probably where I got my maybe confidence to be more like Mike and just kind of freestyling again, having a plan, but not being afraid to divert and like, wait, what did you just say? And change the show and, and, and to change the thought pattern and go a completely different direction. Uh, I think some of that uh, probably rubbed off on me in terms of thinking about that, but I did afternoons mostly with Mike, but there was a period of time where they forced him into doing the morning show. <laughs> um, I guess I might have, it's hard for me to remember. I believe it's when there was the, the mass exodus when H.A. was let go and Henry and, uh, and, and the Russell and Flynn show changed out you know, it, kind of in pieces and Tom Desio with that, too. And so um, Mike was in briefly maybe a year for mornings. He hated mornings because Mike also did a lot of 
uh, weather at Channel 3 and other things that were going on. So he'd have late nights and then have to get in here. He would walk in at like 1 till 5, and I'd be sitting in the chair wondering if he's going to show up. <laughs> but he hated that ship, but he was a brilliant uh, broadcaster. So working with Mike was uh, great, and uh, right in that step with, uh, the, to me, the legends of uh, the pillars of uh, the, my time anyway here with the broadcast. Well, when I think of Mike, and you know I worked with Mike for a while pretty closely, if I parlay something that I learned from Mike into what I'm doing now is it's be over prepared for every possible scenario um, and and then when you actually execute the on air product to do it in a way that sounds like it's natural it sort of came along you know so anything and I try to do that with with when you were in there with me in the mornings we have you know what eight 10, 15 segments across five hours, and I could go eight different ways with this one coming up here, and we sort of go where it takes us, but you're ready to do that, mm-hmm. so that when you actually execute it, it sounds smooth because you've done the, the prep work early on. That's what I watch Mike do, just multitask and do all these things, and then it sounds like it was spur of the moment and spontaneous when he actually reached the air with that on-air delivery. Now, we mentioned Mike Collins in the afternoon. This is a natural segue to uh, there was a period of time where John Hancock was on in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. and you worked with John Hancock, and uh, Hancock was a whole different ball of wax, but again, just one of my all-time favorite people, great friends to this day, is, is Hancock, and Kind of the same thing that we talked about uh, with Mike, and you're this way, too, of just being open with, like, you've got my trust, free reign. If you say something about saying it, to just if something pops in your mind, I trust you that that's going to be something good or we'll go that direction. And John was great with just, like, riffing, where you just, like, go subject to subject and and riff. And we would do—I would do sports, and then it was, like, a set thing— uh, after the sports where I would stay in that whole next segment with him and, and just hang out. And he would have whatever, his list of the day, his news, like he still does. Uh, the, I heard the news, oh boy, that kind of stuff. Oh, and yeah. I, hang read out. The news. I read the news today, oh boy. And he would you know read something, and I would chime in with it. So I kind of call myself like the, you know, the, the chime-in guy, <laughs> the add-on, the comment with that. And, uh, and uh, it was kind of that way when Jerry V would be doing his little afternoon show and then evening show, where I was kind of between both sometimes. It would be like Hancock on this and then 99.3 for a period of time uh, was Jerry V show. He'd walk down, do some sports, and then hang out and, and you know chit chat, yammer, whatever the term is, uh, for just kind of you know shooting the breeze kind of stuff. Uh, but for Hancock, yeah, we just again we kind of vibe the same way and just don't take ourselves too seriously. And uh, what I love about John is I was here when H. A. Thompson, uh, the legend, uh, they let him go, and John had to, re- to replace him. And most people who follow the station know that Charles Most Beloved is a ironic, funny name because he wasn't that he took the beatings that he took for a year or two of. Uh, having to replace a beloved figure in reality in H.A. until John, over time, becomes that person. Uh, and then he got you know sent to evenings, and he went over to the end, 106.5, for a while and left. And so that's created another situation with uh, Spires and Krantz and different people coming in and working with those guys. Well, the good news for me now, uh, as, as far in as I am to these Century podcasts, uh, you, you said you've mentioned probably six different things in the last you know, five minutes that I have actually done a podcast on with all of these different people. Like if you go back to the Jerry V one, uh, you can hear the whole story of how he got here. If you go back to Hancock, he'll I, he'll go down the story of of uh, how how that evolved and talk. About, so uh, I, I'm I'm glad that I don't have to go down each and every one of those roads because we don't have time. But if you are listening and you hear these stories and have questions about them, you can actually go back in the the Century Podcast catalog right now, and there are actually 
hour-long conversations built around some of these things. If you, I'm kind of like the on-air version of David Eads. <laughs> yes. Like the historian who actually lived with the microphones talking to these people while they were doing it. <laughs> well, and, and so so if you hear things that Jim talks about or I talk about here, um, it's kind of like you have been with the Panthers team from the very beginning, so you've lived all this stuff. I've done enough of these podcasts now, you know, leading up to the 100th anniversary, that you can go back and take a deep dive in, in any number of these subjects, which is a pretty cool place to be two or three years in. So uh, 1997 is a point of delineation on the station where uh, you had a new program director, you had a new philosophy in mornings. I know because I was hired in 97 to be the producer in the mornings of what was the Al Gardner era. Al Gardner comes in, um, had been in many, many markets, a well-traveled broadcaster, but a decidedly different style than we'd ever seen before or heard before. Rosinski was the original sports uh, voice in the morning. Uh, and like we talked about, you had been with Collins in the afternoon and Hancock in the afternoon. Eventually, Bill uh, goes on and, and, and to other things. You find yourself back in mornings and worked with Al for a long time. What about the Al Gardner era? Al was, uh, my years was uh, mostly Al with Stacy. So mm-hmm. it was kind of the, the two of them co-hosting and me coming in. And that was neat because it gave a lot of different perspectives. You know, Al very much a news-based guy. Um, he had a good personality, but wasn't like the funniest guy. It wasn't like his strength. He was more the, the politics and doing being engaging. And then Stacy, um, again, she could talk medical stuff. She's brilliant. And uh, she could be joking around. And then I would come in and I would either do my sports or st- stay in a little bit. But I didn't do as much with them because they already had a co-host in there because they had two people in there at the same time. So it's a it's a different era. And, you know, with Al, I mean, he was the the news anchor. He was the executive producer of the show. He was the host. He had it all formulated out. So to me, Al was a little bit more scripted, and I can work with that too. Uh, but it wasn't quite – it was not at all nearly as freestyle and just say whatever you want. It was very much more regimented. So you had to fit more into that box of Charlotte's Morning News and the little components of it as opposed to, again, it's not my show. So whatever that show is, I have to be the team player. I'm Robbie Anderson. I'm not going to get the ball 10 times today. You know, I might get it two times today. So I just had to uh, view that in, in a different way. So that that era was more of a, I would call it more of a heavier news era and, and probably less on the joking around. There was some of that. And I, uh, some of the funner days where we'd go on location, we used to go to restaurants. We would go down to training camp in Spartanburg, things like that. Those were fun. And we, we played golf off the air, the three of us did, and, and different things like that, or had meals together on you know anniversaries of the show and things like that. So uh, we all got along great. But that, in terms of the on-air, uh, was more a, a formula and a lot of standard things at a certain time that they would do. So it wasn't as much play involved in that time. And, uh, of course, now it's hard to believe, but uh, almost 10 years years that um, since I came in and, and took over for Al and, and you've been with me that entire time and and um, I mean I think I've I've said in so many ways uh, over the course of this conversation so far but uh, it's never lost on me what I have in that room with you if anything it really struck me when we went through the pandemic over the last year and a half where, where you had to be not in the same room for a long period of time. And, you know, you, you take certain things for granted, but just in the, in recent months, having you back in the room and uh, part of conversations, you said it a few minutes ago. I mean, you, you sort of know that when you and I go down a road having a conversation, I think a lot of it has to do with how long we've worked together in various ways here, but there's a trust built in. There's a, you know, I, I've got your back, you, you've got my back. And there it is. Away from Murphy, curtain call, and he does it. 300 Major League homers. Well, I tell you what, 
that's my that's growing up for me right there. The one, the only number three, Dale Murphy, former Atlanta Brave, going to be out at BB&T Ballpark tonight for the Knights game, and he's in studio right now. Welcome to uh, welcome to the studio. Oh, thank you. What a what a great flashback that was. Thanks for that. We're gonna play three hundred through three ninety eight of your home runs. <laughs> My show's not long enough, or I would do it. You give me comedians. I know that. Like, yeah, the NFL draft. You're kind of sketchy, but comedians. NFL where draft. From. I'm reading comedians. I know, and, and you know, there's only one way to end this segment. Here. Finally, <laughs> it makes me want to put on a onesie. <laughs> Hey, Bob, uh, thanks for dropping in. I thanks for it. having me, guys. I so appreciate it. Have a great one. Bob Saget, everyone. The legendary Bob Saget. <laughs> Come on. Where in the world did you find this? I mean, I know you found it on YouTube, but how did you know to even look for the right thing? I found it on the Internet, Bo. <laughs> but wait. There's more. It is going deep to right field. Going, going, and it is gone. Home run number one for Poco and a dramatic two-to-one victory for the new Miracle Braves. Surprisingly, neither of those made Best Picture. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Congrats to the nominees in the uh, Best Actor, Steve Carell, Bradley Cooper, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch, is yes. that how you say it? Yeah, <laughs> very Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbun, Cumberbatch, Michael Keaton, uh, and let's see, Eddie Redmayne, and then uh, in the uh, female category, Best Actress, uh, again, I don't know if I'm going to do this name right, tells you how many of these movies I've seen, Marion Cotillard, <laughs> <laughs> Felicity Jones, Julianne Moore, <laughs> Rosamund Pike, and Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. See, I told you Reese Witherspoon was going to be there. <laughs> so that was yesterday. It's like, Very professional job as always, but he said but. You, you, you said but. <laughs> I, I did say but, but, but. I don't feel You're so just bad. Keep saying it. I don't feel so. So I made that mistake yesterday, but I don't feel so bad about myself because. Uh, and Eric even said, "I wonder who's in the cinematography category." Well, in the cinematography category, probably as we were speaking yesterday, uh, Academy President Cheryl Boone Isaacs. Here she is. Lukash Yal and Richard. Lenshowski for Ida. Dick Poop. Dick Pope for Mr. Turner. <laughs> How old are we, really? But you know what? Everybody else out there, I mean, this thing took off like viral fire yesterday. This Dick Poop, who's really Dick Pope. And this was the Academy president, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, saying this yesterday. So if I said... Benedict Cumberbutt. <laughs> she said Dick Poop. See, it doesn't matter how old you are, butt Dick and poop, poop are still funny. Alex Moffat, welcome to WBT. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, can I hear more about those windows from the last segment? <laughs> you know, they have NASA technology. That's I guess, what I hear. You need Man, that. <laughs> these windows, they've got to be... Uh, how, I mean, I'd spend a, a quarter of a million bucks on windows like that. Yep. Is that what they're going for? <laughs> I think they're the face. Buy one, get one. I was doing the, the spot. Buy one, get one. Well, that's a deal. <laughs> you know, it's and, great. And you can see you right say through. It's universal windows? It's universal. universal. So wherever, wow. you, wherever you go. Oh, my goodness. Whatever city. And you say they'll send somebody out just to walk me through it? They will. Well, now, well no. I don't need that because I'm already a fan. <laughs> what was that number again? Well, then it worked. 704-394-3399. Call that number now and get yourself some windows. 
Windus. That was a proper pronunciation here. Yeah. Or Winders. 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 That's gonna say. Winders. We know that um, we may not know where we're going, but we know that however we get there, you know, you got two broadcasters here who are who are looking out for the bottom line of the station and, and each other, too. I mean, Pat McCrory calls you the hardest working man <laughs> in show business. I marvel, it's because of the hard work that you're able to make it look so effortless, how you, because you got that producer's background, how you can put together as a basically a, a, a executive producer, you can production-wise produce, host a show, do intelligent, serious conversations, and yet play and be a sports fan and a music fan. I mean, I don't think people understand how rare that left brain, right brain combination is. So of all the people I've talked about, nobody, I'm not just saying this because we're in the room, but because that's the topic we're on right now, is that you know to combine all of that to be smart, funny, production-based, uh, to be able to do serious conversations about hurricanes and, and tragedies and goof around about Huey Lewis in the news or about <laughs> sports and, and have history and have background and be current at the same time and not be out of date, yet be historical. I mean, it's it's not even rare. I've never seen it before. It's just amazing that you can do all those things. I will, People don't understand. Like, I'll say something. They probably have to think it's pre-planned. I'll say something like, yeah, this song or whatever. I'll just throw out a, a, a bit from a sitcom or the Braves and you got the Superstation. TBS thing playing, or, or you've got a Sanford and Son something playing, or a Huey Lewis song, and I know you know what you're doing over there. You've got this magical box to me that I don't even see. I just see your fingers moving, and within, and I'm not exaggerating, five to ten seconds, it's on the air, is the most stunning thing I've seen while carrying on a conversation. It's not like you're talking to some producer saying, uh, get, the, get the Huey Lewis song ready. You know? get, the, <laughs> get, the, get the brave Sid Bream highlight ready. I mean, Bo is doing that while speaking to you and leaning over and doing all that, but yet, most importantly, the main function is on the morning news program, able to do intelligent, political, and, and important conversations on top of that. Well, I mean, I always say to people when I talk about my time here, I'm lucky. Like you, I've basically spent my entire career here uh, with a few, um, really almost exactly like you. You left for five years. I left for about seven, but ultimately came back because yeah, I think you and I both sort of knew in the back of our head, this is the mothership and one day we'd find our way back here. But I take a little piece of so many people that have worked here. And I think uh, when it was finally time for me to put it all together and do my thing at the end, you know, I've got some pretty impressive people to be taking parts of. I mean, whether that's Mike Collins or Jim Zoki or Bill Rosinski, Al Gardner, of course, taught me how to do breaking news coverage. But, um, you know, in the end, I feel like I've I can't think of many people in in the industry who have had the ability to work with so many incredible I mean it's the call letters and that really sort of leads me to where I end these podcasts with with each person that I talk to I want to talk about WBT big picture here as it relates to your career and where you see it as a station because that's why I started doing the Century podcast in the first place, we're on the doorstep of 100 years. Mm -hmm. Um, You and I both know, I know it's a sense of pride, and I don't even have to ask you this, but just working for a station that is going to be around for a century, how many people get to say that? I mean, I'm excited about the the celebration we're going to have next year because I know, you know, there are people who, no matter where they've gone and what they've done, haven't thought about WBT for years. We all kind of share that little piece of we worked at that place. And you and I, unlike a lot of people we can name, have spent 
almost our entire careers here. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that as we uh, head out the door here. Jim Zoki has been at WBT since 1987. What does it mean to you to have WBT on the resume uh, in, in totality? It's, it's weird to think about 100 years that I've done more than a quarter century. Yeah, and not many people can say that. So I'm thinking in terms of all the years. Truly, 88 was when I think I started here on the air. I moved here in 87. So a five-year hiatus. I've been here for 26, no, at least 27, if not 28 years, because there was a, that five-year break in the middle. So 27, 28 years out of the 100. Um, I guess at 100, it'll be 28 to 29. I'm not that good at math. That's That's pretty amazing to be a part of that legacy for that long and it's 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 still i don't know i i go out and i'll see you expect older people when you're at an event to come up to you and say i listen to that or what's hancock like or what was danny like or what's Bo like and, and then they have like younger people that say i've been listening to you since i was riding to school with my parents in the car <laughs> and with the panthers broadcast you i remember the first season listening yeah that's cool that you know and you start feeling like you know, Vince Scully, like you're 88 years old and you're not, but you feel like you are. A pleasant good afternoon to you it, wherever it you are. But it's like anything. I think, you know, you don't think about it. I think it's probably one of those things like when I'm done, uh, I'll probably think back and look at it uh, more. It was like you said, you left and came back. It was a different feeling when you come back because it was cool to come back because I worked 11 years here full time, left for five years. I've been back 16 years. And so when I came back 16 years ago, it felt like home, like to come back home, because we spend this amount of time. And there are people that work here. I met my wife here. I mean, Sandra worked here for 27 years. So I met my second wife here. We've been married 16 years. I mean, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have my wife if not for working here. I mean, we wouldn't have the home and the family we have. I mean, you talk about feeling like home. So between the two of us and our backgrounds here, and she even worked down at Channel 3 when she came out of Chapel Hill out of college for the first couple of years. Um we just uh, we have this legacy and these friendships that go for decades uh, that are beyond work. It doesn't even feel like work. Work is just home and it's family and, and friends and connections. And, and to different degrees, uh, you'll see somebody. I saw Lamar Lloyd, one of our salespeople, out of this event the other night. I said, man, I haven't seen you, I bet. Um, when did you leave five years ago? He goes, 11. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was that long, but we worked together for a lot of years. But, like, time flies, and people come and go. Uh, but we all have that bond and that connection. And it sounds cheesy, but it's a special place to work because of what it is, because of the format that it is that it affects this community. It's a talking format, uh, not just your favorite DJ songs. And uh, I've done that work, so I know what that's like. But this is like a real connector of sports and news and information and storytelling. Uh, so that's important. But then because of Sandra, you know, with so many of the sales and marketing aspects of the people that have worked here through the years, and then you get to know their families and hanging out with them and uh you know, I've watched how many people, including myself, uh, get married, get remarried, have kids, become grandparents, so you, all the things that you do in, in life. Sad firings, happy returns like you, me, and Hancock had had. And I saw John Hancock get banished at evenings and put, put in the Hall of Fame and watched his last afternoon show with you standing out here in the hallway watching him wrap up a Hall of Fame on-air career doing the show he wanted to do on Afternoon Drive. So it's... um. There's no separating the fabric of my life and work. They're just all intertwined together. Well, when you have a station as iconic as this one and that's been around as long as it has, unfortunately, and it's not just WBT. I mean, it's radio. It's show business. It's broadcasting. A lot of times, really more often than not, people don't leave on good terms. I mean, you and I have seen so many people. We could, we could write a book on you know, unhappy endings. 
you know, you, you, you hope that everybody, or you wish for yourself, of course, that that you could end it the way John Hancock did. But that's just, that's not that's not the show business. And both of us would be naive to assume that that's how it would end for us someday. I don't know. But I know that uh, we've made it here longer than most. And uh, in some ways, that's luck. In some ways, that's expertise. In some ways, it really is a combination of, of, of good fortune on a lot of levels. But the bottom line is when I, when I sit across from you right now, and I'm lucky enough to sit across from you in the morning and to have you in there uh, to the degree that I've had over the years. But I mean, I know it's a sense of pride for us. And when you and I see each other in 20 years, whatever we'll be doing then, we'll always have that bond. I said that to Jerry Klein one time when he came back to town and he said, I can't believe people remembered me and welcomed me back. And I said, here's the thing, Jerry, um, everybody who's been on the station over the years hasn't thought eye to eye and seen the same way. And especially in our political news talk time now, that's even more the case. But at a place like WBT and, and Jefferson Pilot Communications, even back in the day, you know, there's a bond uh, that that's sometimes spoken, sometimes unspoken. But there's a bond. If you were behind this mic, then you always have that connection with uh, uh, everybody else who did. And so that's what I think is pretty cool about uh, here we are closing in on 100 next year. So it took me a while to get to you, but it's only because, like, with Lacey and with Steve Martin, I was kind of saving some of the, the big the big cats were closer to the anniversary. And uh, so this this hasn't disappointed at all, and I'm I'm so glad we did it. And I appreciate you being in here and, uh, and sitting down for the time. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of that and, and to be one of your guests uh, on these. I know you work really hard on these. You've been doing them for a long time. And I will tell you this because we're just sitting here. We talk about so much history and, and what it was like then. And that's interesting. I enjoy coming to work now as much as I ever have out of any time. And a lot of that has to do with you, first of all, but all the people that we work with here. Uh, but you're the centerpiece of what I'm doing on the air. And that's only fun because you let it be fun. I mean, you can make it whatever you want it to be. So I enjoy it. It's fun. I'm having as much fun doing this now as I ever have. And I think a lot of times you look back and you remember the really good times. And then there are times you go, yeah, it wasn't really great that time period or that month or that, you know, whatever era, or, or at least not as much fun. Um, and it's, it's called work. It's not called going to fun. But I think uh, I enjoy what we're doing right now. And like you said, someday there'll be some other people in here talking about when Bo and Jim and John Moore and all these people used to work here that are long gone. But uh, I'm enjoying uh, this kind of current era and uh, whatever memories we're making now moving forward too well thank you uh, jim zoki the great jim zoki and uh we will I, I, now i have my work cut out for me to find all these uh, audio sound bites that you and i talked about but uh that's what that's i'll give what you the john hancock cassette box of <laughs> <laughs> for, for the, the the early part of our podcast talk i look forward to it and uh hey thanks thank you for having me 